are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Tuesday night, May the 2nd, and we are here for our NASCAR race review of Dover. We'll also have our Hot Topic sound off tonight as well. Uh, we're waiting for the co-host to come on board. He should be here shortly. Andy Lasky will be joining us for tonight. In our first half hour, we are going to start with the latest short track news, and then we're going to review the ARCA East race at Dover Motor Speedway. We'll include, of course, the updates for the ARCA Menards in the West Series. In the next half hour, our guest is Jake Finch. He is the ARCA East driver of the number 20 Toyota for Venturini Motorsports. He's going to join our conversation here tonight, and uh, we're going to talk about his win at Dover Motor Speedway this past weekend. Uh, afterward, we're going to update the NASCAR Truck Series. They did not race this weekend, but they will be back on the track uh, this coming weekend. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the third half hour, we are going to review the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series races all at Dover Motor Speedway. We always end our episodes with our Hot Topic Sound Off conversation, and that will uh, be the same tonight with our fan for racing crew. (coughs) Excuse me. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Andy Lasky. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Sharon. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. My throat got dry there pretty quick. <clears throat> so I'm glad you're here. <laughs> we'll do what we can. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started <clears throat> with some short track news here. Um, let me pull up my notes here real quick. Okay. We've got some short track news here uh, for the dirt division as well as some short track areas. And... Um, I want to go ahead and get started with that. Uh, do you want to go ahead and start with the first uh, topic? Yeah, let's take a look at the dirt um, first off here. Uh, James McFadden and the Roth Motorsports team were suspended, unfortunately, and fined for a failed tire test after an April 14th World of Outlaws sprint race. And uh, you can read more about that over at worldofoutlaws.com. Um, but, uh, again, we're just get, giving you the headlines here. Also, Jake Swanson will take the place of the injured Alex Bowman in the high-limit sprint car series as Bowman continues to recover. Tyler Burnett wrote about that over at Low Racing. And, unfortunately, rain suspended the planned Lucas Oil Late Model Series triple header That was in the mid-Atlantic region. Of course, rain wreaking havoc all across the United States here in the recent few days. Uh, Unfortunate there, but hopefully that'll uh, be redone at a different time. And, of course, you can catch uh, the details on that at lucasdirt.com. Also, USAC suffered the same fate at Devil's Bowl Speedway, uh, meaning that they probably had to uh, delay a race. So uh, that was sent to us from USAC Media. So watch for more information about that along as well. Also, along with the planned Thursday show at Rocket Raceway Park, uh, it sounds like that's going to have to be rescheduled as well. Now we'll go ahead and move on 
to some news about the superstar racing experience over at Short Tracks. Yeah, of course, the broadcast team has been released. We talked about that on our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off last week. In case you missed it, um, Alan Bestwick and Matt Yoakum, of course, will return to anchor that coverage. Looking forward to that. You can catch out uh, the broader details, of course, on the Superstar Racing Experience website, which will tell you who the driver analyst will be for each race. Really looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll just cover all of these SRX uh, topics here briefly. Casey Kane is going to join the series, of course, at Berlin Raceway. And Greg Biffle will be back with the tour at Thunder Road Super Bowl, that, or Speed Bowl, rather. Uh, looking forward to that. And, of course, um, all of these details at Racing America website, if you want to look into uh, more of the details about SRX. Really excited about this series. Uh, the first two seasons were fantastic. Really looking forward to seeing that series kick off here in the not-too-distant future. Should be fun. You and me both, uh, Andy. Also, the ASA CRA Super Series points opener at Andersonville Anderson Speedway was called off again because of rain. This has just been a season that has been plagued with rain, Andy. Uh, a lot of these races are going to end up being double headers, I think. Uh, but you can read more about this specific uh, rain delay over at Racing America. <coughs> And, of and course, also, rain being the – yeah, unfortunately, ahead. rain, uh, a topic again here. Unfortunately, the Montgomery Motor Speedway faced the same fate with the ASA Southern Super Series and the Show Me the Money Twin Feature event. So, uh, like you just said, Sharon, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, doubleheaders and make-up dates um, that will ultimately provide for some really good racing when we get to that point. But, yeah, rain just really the theme, unfortunately, this last weekend that really wreaked havoc all across um, really the eastern half of the United States. Uh, and to finish off the short track, I can just do this one real quick. NASCAR, of course, announced sure. its full 2023 home track roster and streaming plans Friday. You can see that full article on Flow Racing. That'll be interesting to see that. Looking forward to checking out those details. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, Racing America um, has some great articles uh, that they post all the time, and uh, we try to hit some of the highlights of those articles. Uh, and there's some things that are coming out late today that are already up at uh, Racing America that I'm sure we're going to talk about in our Hot Topic Sound Off segment uh, that will be coming up uh, uh, later on tonight. Uh, but also there's the Cars Tour heads to ACE battling for guaranteed starting, starting spots at North Wilkesboro. So North Wilkesboro uh, is going to have a Cars race uh, prior to the All-Star race that's going to take place out there. So uh, this is going to be fun to see how they uh, uh, look for those guaranteed spots for these uh, Cars Cars Tour drivers. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be interesting. Certainly looking forward to that. Um, taking a look down through, as you mentioned, a lot of this stuff we will get to on the NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, you mentioned the Cars Tour. Um, looking at um, the Joe Shear Classic, of course. Um, mm-hmm. That's coming up here in uh, 
I believe that's coming up here this weekend. Uh, and, of course, if you go to Racing America, you can find out how to watch the Joe Shear Classic. Of course, uh, such a legend in the short track racing scene. And that uh, races up to 40 entries, of course. That's at Madison, so that'll be a fun one as well. Yes, and ASA champion Tim Sauter will be a guest of honor at Madison. As you know, the Sauter family, uh, is, they're kind of big news in the Wisconsin area. So uh, uh, it's going to be nice to see Tim Sauter as a guest of honor out there. <clears throat> we're going to move over. To, we're going to move over to Flow Racing uh, and some of the news that they have posted over there as well. Uh, a lot of you will remember the Tezos All-Star Sprint Cars. They'll be at Atomic Speedway. They have a race preview and how to watch that race uh, posted over at Flow Racing. So if you're following that series, uh, this is the one that uh, uh, Kyle Larson is actively involved in. Also, uh, there will be three races on tap this week for the Lucas Oil Late Models. That should be a fun one as they will visit the Atomic Speedway, Ponderosa Speedway, and the Florence Speedway during a three-race weekend, which begins Thursday night. So if you're a fan of the Lucas Oil Late Models, you're in for a lot of content and a lot of racing this weekend. That should be fun. Hopefully the weather cooperates because certainly a three-race weekend is uh, not only ambitious, but it'll be fun to watch that if you're a fan of that series. Yes, indeed. And then uh, help me pronounce this. Is it just Bar Vermont, <laughs> Andy, um, or Barry Vermont? <clears throat> Where, which the, one are you looking at, Sharon? Uh, the ACT late models are going to invade Thunder Road for their 25th Community Bank 150, as well as the past super late models are set to kick off Thunder Road opening weekend. Oh, I... I'm not good with necessarily pronouncing uh, words of, of cities. So you could say that it's Barry. I'm sure it's pronounced either that way or bar, depending on the part of the country. Uh, either way, I, I, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. <laughs> but oh, it is in Vermont. Okay. I can't say that much. <laughs> it is Vermont. Yes, I got that part. Also, 38 drivers are entered for Sunday's USAC Silver Crown opener at Terre Haute. So, again, you'll want to kind of check that out uh, and uh, uh, get all the details over at Flow Racing. Uh, we're running out of time quick here, so I'm going to go ahead and move over to Short Track Scene, Andy. And there's uh, some articles there as well. <clears throat> so I don't know if you want to start off there or you want me to kind of kick it off. Yeah, so looking, of course, uh, for the Cars Late Model Race, we already talked about that, but the, the Cars Ace Preview is over at the short track scene. Um, also, taking a look at the Super Modifieds. Um, interestingly enough, regarding a main racer, that's my home state, of course, Bobby Timmons III uh, is named the second GNG's gift recipient. So, you want to check that out that's also a short track scene pretty cool didn't realize he was from maine so pretty awesome that is kind of awesome when you see that also from bowman gray stadium chris fleming lee jeffries take stadium wins out at that track and you again you can read about that over at uh short track scene uh matt weaver is all over the short track scene uh and keeping track of what's going on uh <clears throat> 
And then there's the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series, Andy. Yes, indeed. Uh, taking a look at that, uh, Landon Huffman and Cade Brown split the Hickory Twins. Uh, moving down through here, um, also the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series. Cody Kelly wins his third in a row at Florence. So uh, certainly a lot of momentum on his side uh, as we get into the season here in the springtime. Yes, indeed. Uh, so there's a lot of great articles over here. <clears throat> we try to hit the highlights for you. Uh, a lot of rain cancellations. Uh, we didn't catch them all. Uh, but between those three websites, you will be completely up to date with any racing across the country uh, because these three websites do such a fantastic job of covering the short track uh, racing across the country. Uh, that We're talking about Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene. And, of course, uh, we're going to be moving on here to the Arca Menard Series uh, and the Arca East that raced at Dover Motor Speedway this past weekend. Uh, but you can actually see that race. If you haven't seen it yet, it is available <clears throat> for viewing at uh, Flow Racing. So you can catch uh, the highlights of that race over at Flow Racing if you have not seen it yet. All right, uh, let's go ahead. We've got some notes here uh, for the ARCA race that took place this weekend out at uh, Dover Motor Speedway. And uh, our guest that will be coming up at 9 o'clock actually won this race, but there's a lot of uh, great information about uh, the ARCA Menard Series East at Dover Motor Speedway and the General Tire 125. So you want to go ahead and get started, Jay? Or, I'm sorry, Andy? <laughs> Sometimes I forget <laughs> who I'm talking with. The the other Jay, of course. No, the um, other Jay. <laughs> yeah, obviously uh, excited to have Jake Finch here in, in just about uh, 15 minutes. He dominated the General Tire 125 to earn his first career arc of Menard Series each victory, leading uh, 89 of the 127 laps and held off a hard-charging Landon Lewis in a two-lap overtime dash to win by about uh, one-tenth of a second. So obviously impressive uh, to go out there and not just win his first career race, but to do so in dominating fashion. Absolutely. And Landon Lewis, uh, I don't know, we'll probably talk about it earlier, but he's had a lot of second-place finishes in the ARCA series lately. But then Torini Motorsports has won the last four Arkham Menard Series platform races. The team won the Arkham Menard Series West race at Irwindale Speedway with Sean Hingarani on April 1st. And then the Arkham Menard Series race at Talladega Super Speedway with Jesse Love. And the West race at Kern County Raceway Park when Hingarani won again on April the 22nd. So Venturini um, just having a banner start uh, to this 2023 season in the Arca Menards area. And to talk about Lewis, of course, he finished second in his Arca Menards East Series debut. The current Arca Menards Series West Championship leader, Lewis, has finished second in all four of his Arca Menards Series platform starts so far in 2023. He's also finished no worse than second in any of his debut races across the platform, and he finished second at Springfield in his Arca Menards Series debut in 2021 and one at Kern County in his West debut in 2022. So he's run second that many times, probably going to find himself into victory lane before uh, uh, sooner than later. 
Yeah, he's been knocking on that door for sure. Now, Luke Venhouse started uh, 14th in the 15-car field and raced his way to third at the finish, his second consecutive top-five finish in two career uh, Arca East starts. So uh, really uh, some fine runs there for Luke Venhouse as well. William Solowich, of course, started from the general tire pool after qualifying was washed out on Friday. Solowich making his first-ever start on a track Bigger than five-eighths of a mile led the first two laps before drifting to the back of the top five, eventually finishing from fourth. All right. Uh, LeVar Scott took the lead early. He led four laps and bought off an extremely loose race car in his way to fifth at the finish, his second consecutive fifth-place finish. So uh, that's not bad for LeVar Scott as well. Not at all, no. And, and of course, Zachary Tinkle finished or started second and finished sixth, his best career East finish. And I'll just move into the next one here. Tony Bridinger, of course, was battling for a top five finish before an unfortunate fuel line failure brought her car to a stop under the third and final caution of the day. However, despite losing those two laps, uh, her team made repairs and still able to come back for um, a seventh place finish. So a fairly good rebound there. Absolutely. Ed Pompa, he finished eighth for his best career East finish as well. And Connor Jones dominated through the first of two scheduled cautions at lap 30. But the handling on his car actually went away after the restart, and he dropped two laps off the pace. His team made adjustments under the second caution of the day, and his car came back to life running laps faster than the leader. Jones was racing among the leaders with just a handful of laps remaining when um, the right front tire actually went down at a, at speed, turn, entering into turn three, sending Joe's, Jones hard into the safer barrier. He was uninjured in the crash, and he is credited with a ninth-place finish. Next up, Sean... Um... Hingarani, a two-time Arca Menards Series West winner in 2023, finished 42 laps off the pace after his engine struggled to come to life at the start. Once his team got the car running, he ran competitive lap times and uh, picked up five valuable points as he competes for both the Arca Menards Series East and West Championships. Of course, the next race for the Arca Menards Series East is the Music City 200 at the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. That's on Saturday, May 13th. The race will be streamed live on Flow Racing starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, ArcaRacing.com will have live timing and scoring of all on-track activity and up-to-the-minute uh, updates are also available by following Arca hashtag racing on Twitter. So we'll look forward to that one in less than two weeks. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, I do want to uh, get to the uh, top ten finishers in the Arkham Menard series. So I want to go over the complete results. There were 15 cars, so I don't know. We might as well go ahead and do the top 15 Um, because it was a a smaller uh, group. As we've been talking about, Jake Finch uh, won this race. For Phoenix, with his Phoenix Construction Toyota driving the number 20 for Venturini Motorsports, Landon Lewis came in second, followed by Luke Fenhouse in third, William Solowich in fourth, LeVar Scott fifth, Zachary Tinkle sixth, Tony Breininger seven, and then Ed Pompa, Connor Jones, and Sean Hingarani rounded out that top ten. 
Um, and then the next five drivers were Brad Smith, Rita Goulet, C.J. McLaughlin, Dale Shearer, and Tim Monroe. So um, uh, most of the cars, uh, some of the cars did have some issues and finished laps down. I think uh, six of the cars finished actually on the lead lap here. So um, it was uh, just a handful of competitors there at the end that were really fighting for that win. Uh, but uh, it was indeed Jake uh, Finch coming out on top. So let's go ahead and cover the standings for the ARCA East Series after uh, three races. Actually, let's see, is it three or two? I think it's two. Two I'm races. Pulling, I'm going to try to find the standings here real quick. Let's take a look at the ARCA Menard Series East, of course, coming off that race at um, Dover this past top, weekend. It's on the top R there at the standings, and then there's a drop down there. So William Solowich, of course, coming off a top five finish. He is your points leader right now with, um, see how many points he has, 90, but only one point back in second, of course, is Jake Finch coming off that dominating win at Dover. Then, of course, Luke Fenhouse in third, LeVar Scott in fourth. Zachary Tinkle rounds out the top five. All right. You want to go ahead and hit the next next uh, five? And, of course, moving on into sixth, Sean Hingarani in sixth, Ed Pompa seventh, Tim Monroe eighth, Rita Goulet in ninth, and, of course, Dale Shearer in tenth. Uh, again, only uh, two races into the season, so a long way to go here. But uh, a pretty close battle for the uh, points lead at the present time. Yes, indeed. That will all shake out as uh, the racing continues uh, this season uh, for the Arkham Menard Series. And I just accidentally closed out my page here. Um, <clears throat> so now, next uh, on um, Thursday... Jay and I are going to do the preview of Kansas, and of course the Arkham Menard Series will be racing at Kansas, so uh, we'll watch for our preview of that race. Uh, they will be racing the Dawn 150 on May 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern at Kansas Speedway, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. We always like it when those Arca races are on Fox Sports 1, uh, because uh uh, it gives fans the chance to see some great racing in this Arkham and Art series. Uh, but there's some really good information over at ArcaRacing.com. If you look at some of the articles here, uh, they talk about how you can get your tickets for that Dawn 150 at Kansas. Um, all, some key information about the race, behind the scenes, uh, for racing at Kansas Speedway. Uh, a couple of uh, feature articles, Kyle Keller, uh, uh, a feature on him. Uh, and we've talked about this one. I wrote an article a few years ago, uh, but there's another article up here at ArcaRacing.com about Venturini Motorsports and the all-female pit crew. Uh, it's quite a story. I had a chance, Andy, to sit down with Kathy Venturini uh, a few years ago and sit down and talk to her about this all-female pit crew and how they helped Big Bill France, uh, not France, but Venturini, Big Bill Venturini, win a championship that year with an all-female pit crew. Isn't that amazing? 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And, and honestly, you know, you, you want to see more involvement um, from females in the sport. You know, I certainly do. So it's pretty cool to not only see an all-female pit crew, but to see them contend for a championship is pretty awesome, you know. And I, I think that's one of the nice things about the Arkham Menard series is we've, we've started to see more uh, female involvement, certainly on the driver's side of things, but also from the pit crew side of things. So uh, definitely awesome, you know, the accomplishments that they've been able to do thus far and, and certainly looking forward to more success in the future. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, Andy had mentioned that the next race for the Arca East is at Music City 200 at Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway on May 13th. Uh, but the Arca West has a race that's coming up here. We have to wait June 2nd for that race. Uh, that's always the hard part to hear in the beginning of the Arca Menard Series season. But trust me, they're getting ready to gear up for uh, weekly racing uh, but this race for the Arco West will be at Portland International Raceway at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and it will be uh, be available for live streaming at Flow Racing. You can also get the radio at uh, com, as well as their Race Central carries a lot of uh, uh, updates directly from the track as they happen at uh, Race Central at com as well. But Kansas, one of the nicest facilities, I think, on the series schedule. Uh, uh, really looking forward to this upcoming weekend, Andy. Yeah, Kansas will be fantastic. And as you already mentioned, the race will be televised live on Fox Sports 1. Uh, those are always enjoyable when uh, we can watch those races live. And, uh, you know, certainly looking forward to that. I uh, remember, I think I've watched the last two races at Kansas for the Arkham Menard Series. And, uh Hoping to catch this one again this weekend. Okay. Also, for those that like to watch the delayed broadcast, uh, the race uh, for the Arca East Series at Dover will be televised on CNBC on May 7th at 11 a.m. And uh, you can watch it there or you can watch the um, uh, replay of that race also at Flow Racing. Uh, so I really encourage everybody to check that out. <clears throat> okay, we've got our guest. Uh, let's get ready for our guest coming up here, Jake Finch. Uh, remember Phoenix Racing, Andy, with James Finch? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I certainly have, you know, certainly uh, been a, a big fan of, of that team over the years. It's um always been entertaining. I think back to the, the Jimmy Spencer days in the Bush series. Um, of course, Brad Kozlowski took him to victory lane in the cup car at Talladega back in 09. So certainly remember Phoenix racing and, and uh, their accomplishments over the years. And uh, I've always enjoyed, um, enjoyed what they've been able to do as a single car team over the years. Yes. And, and he's kind of stepped back a little bit from the NASCAR scene, but he's been uh, actively involved in, in uh, supporting his son, Jake, uh, in his late model career. And uh, now he's second in the series point standings uh, after his win at Dover this past weekend. So a uh, big weekend for Venturini Motorsports, but this is also a big deal uh, for Phoenix Racing as well. It is, and it's also nice that, that uh, Phoenix Racing is still involved in, in stock car racing. 
Um, certainly look forward to, to maybe seeing Jake move up with that team back to perhaps Xfinity Series or Truck Series competition at some point down the road. So, uh, But certainly glad to see that that team is um, still involved in racing for sure. Yes, and keep in mind, uh, you can see Jake race uh, for Venturini part-time this year. Uh, the times that he's not racing with Venturini, he will be racing with Phoenix Racing throughout this season. So uh, I, I'm pretty sure he plans on racing uh, the full schedule. And he's going to race some of the Arkham and Art Series races as well. So uh, we'll talk to him about that when he arrives. Uh, but Jake Finch... Uh, really having a great season uh, with a great team, Venturini Motorsports. Yeah, and, and obviously with a, a really good organization, too, when you think about Venturini Motorsports and, and what they've meant to the Arca Menard Series, certainly a powerhouse team within that series and really all the Arca Menard Series um, divisions. So um, certainly – a great organization to be partnered with as it pertains to, to having success. And I can only imagine that that'll continue throughout the season. Well, and to your point that you made earlier too, Andy, uh, they're kind of a feeder uh, organization for Toyota into the NASCAR's top three. So it, it uh, really is a big deal when somebody gets an opportunity to race at Venturini Motorsports. And to see them having so so much success this season uh, has been really fun as well. And they're kind of making history because Sean Hingarani that we had on uh, a couple of times already this season with his two wins, uh, he was talking about how he's the first Indian of Indian descent uh, to win a NASCAR uh, or Arkham and Art Series race. So it's really cool to see them breaking down the barriers, if you will, uh, in a lot of ways. It is indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they'll continue to do that and, and most importantly, continue to develop talent, you know, and, and that's certainly something that team's been very good at over the years is developing future talent to move up to uh, the truck series and the Xfinity series and, and other racing divisions and, and certainly, uh, They'll they'll continue to do that and, and undoubtedly um, keep keep bringing the future stars along and, and you know there's no better team to do it with than Venturini Motorsports certainly. All right, we're expecting uh, Jake to uh, join our call here momentarily. Uh, I'm just looking to see make sure I don't have any messages <laughs> in my inbox, and I don't. So uh, we are expecting him shortly, uh, and he'll be calling into the radio show here, and uh, I'll keep an eye on my mailbox as well. Uh, sometimes things do come up, and sometimes people can't make it, but uh, as far as I know, he was planning to be here uh, and talk to us about that victory. Uh, I know <clears throat> in the notes, uh, it's one of those situations when you get that first win and you're coming to the finish line and you know you've got talented drivers around you, um, it can it can really uh, rattle your nerves a little bit uh, coming down to the wire there, Andy. But James was able to keep it keep pretty calm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, absolutely, and, and certainly to be able to get that first win is a big accomplishment, and, and I think that that in itself can can help not only 
build confidence for the future, but also make perhaps future wins be that much easier because once you get through and, and get that first win, it can only make things, I think, possibly go smoother as the season goes on. From what I'm seeing, certainly um, somebody that you're going to have to contend with if you're you're going to win that Arca, but RD's championship this season, undoubtedly. Yes, I, I would agree with you. Uh, he does credit his crew chief, Shannon Rush, as well as uh, his uh, spotter, Tyler Mon, uh, for helping to keep him calm in those nerve-wracking uh, final moments of the race. Um, I, I think a lot of drivers kind of envision uh, so many things that could happen, and they're just trying to hold their line and, and get to the finish line uh, when it comes down to the end. And uh, I have to say, Jake Finch did a good job of doing that. Because I think Connor, and, didn't uh, we read that? Connor uh, got a flat tire uh, in those closing laps. I believe so. And, you know, you you spoke about his team members there. Uh, the crew chief, Shannon Roche, of course, just won the Arkham Menards race at uh, Talladega as a crew chief. A veteran crew chief with a lot of experience and has had a lot of success as a crew chief in the Arkham Menards divisions, no matter which division it is. So certainly that veteran experience certainly can help a young driver like Jake come in and, and be successful so quickly like he's been able to do. And also, you mentioned the spotter, Tyler Mon, of course, the spotter in the Cup Series for Kyle Larson. We know how talented he is. So um, mm-hmm. having that kind of presence either on the spotter stand or in the pit box can really go a long way in determining one's success. And certainly that is a, a good team dynamic for, for Jake to learn and grow and, and have the success that he's having so far. That is so true. And, and, you know, that is one of their jobs is when the driver starts getting a little nervous about what's going on. Uh, their job is to help him relax and stay calm and keep his focus on getting to the finish line. So they did a good job of doing that uh, in this race, obviously, with Jake. Um, and uh, he's a rookie this year, so I know he's done a couple of one-offs in the Arkham Art Series. Uh, so... Uh, still on that learning curve, if you will. And uh, anytime you can have the veterans of this sport, and Shannon Rush has been around and worked with a lot of uh, very talented drivers, as and as you mentioned, Tyler Mon as well. So it, it's really good to have people who know what they're doing uh, behind the scenes, kind of helping to support a driver like Jake Finch. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, too, it really can make or break one's career. And certainly when you surround yourself with a good team and a good organization, it goes a long way. And also you have to have that team believe in you. And and certainly in in Jake's case, you know, obviously his ability to go out there and lead 89 laps at Dover, the, the Monster Mile, not the easiest track on the circuit, you know, I think, you know, proves to the team that, that he has the talent to, to be successful and compete for wins. And certainly I think that probably instills confidence into his team. And, you know, if your team believes in you and you believe in your team, it can really go a long way. So obviously that's the case in this situation. And, and when you look at those kind of numbers from having a dominating performance, like we just saw at Dover this past weekend, um, really I think it has to make him, you know, a favorite anytime he hits the track this season. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to try to send a note here because uh, Tyler still isn't here. I don't know if he's having trouble uh, calling into the show. So give me a minute here, 
And the, if you want to go back and maybe do the point standings for the ARCA Menard series and the ARCA West series uh, while I send off these notes, that would be great. Yeah, no problem. Let me just pull that up real quickly here. Of course, um, you know, we'll see the ARCA Menard series at Kansas this weekend, but a couple breaks in the action uh, for some of these other divisions. But we'll take a look at those point standings here momentarily. Um just so we have an idea of what's going on before the upcoming races come uh, for all of these series. Um, the Arkham Menard series, of course, they are um, at Kansas this weekend, but um, we'll take a look at their standings first. Um, Frankie Muniz, of course, we've heard a lot about him this season, um, making his um, full-time debut in the series. And after three races, he is the points leader, which I think is pretty awesome. Just a, a really fun personality, and it's been a joy to, to watch him thus far through these first three races. He's your points leader, followed by Jesse Love in second, Greg Van Alst in third. Of course, the uh, the Daytona winner there. How could we forget how awesome that victory was? Jack Wood in fourth, Tony Cosentino in fifth, rounding out your top ten. Um, this guy, I can't say enough good things about him, Andreas Perez de Lara. We had him on the show just a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and then he, w- he went out and uh, had just an impressive uh, performance. I was so impressed with his performance at Talladega. He finished in the top five, but he, he ran up front all day, and for someone that's never been on a super speedway, uh, just absolutely incredible to see how well he ran. I was super pumped to see that. Uh, Christian yeah, Rose and seven, Sean Core. Yeah, it was awesome, you know, and I, I just goes to show you, I think, that he's in for a big future. Uh, Christian Rose in seventh, Sean Core eighth, Tony Bridinger ninth, and, of course, Jason White rounds out your top ten. That's your Arkham Menard series point standings. Okay. Did you, and did, were you able to do the West? Uh, let's see. Yeah, taking a look at the West series standings. I've got those pulled up now, of course. Um They'll take a break, as you already mentioned, and come back to racing at Portland in June. However, Landon Lewis is your points leader. Tyler Rafe in second. Sean Ingarani in third. Trevor Huddleston in fourth. Bradley Erickson rounds out the top five in the standings. And, of course, rounding out the top ten will be Tanner Reef, Kyle Keller, Todd Souza, Jakuma Koga in ninth. And, of course, David Smith rounds out your top ten. Again, uh, as I just mentioned, you'll see that series Next in action in uh, just one month's time at the Portland International Raceway. Okay. Uh, Okay, I sent off a note uh, just awaiting a response. Something must have come up for uh, Jake Finch, uh, and that's why he hasn't called in yet. I have uh, sent a note uh, just inquiring to see if maybe there's he's having trouble getting in. But uh, we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear from him uh, shortly here at uh, Fan Racing Radio. Okay, um, Andy, why don't we go ahead and do a quick truck update while we're waiting for Jake to call in? That way, we can have that kind of behind us, if you will, um, and uh, give us time to talk with Jake when and if he does call in. Uh, the next race, by the way, for the truck series is at Kansas Speedway on May the 6th. That's this weekend, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 
uh, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, so definitely uh, looking forward to that race that's coming up this weekend. Uh, and uh, we'll go back and take a look at the driver points. Uh, Andy, if you want to do that for the truck series after the Long John Silver 200, uh, their last race, just to keep everybody up to date with what's going on there. Yeah, of course, as you just mentioned, the truck series will race uh, Kansas this weekend. Uh, But taking a look at the point standings, let me just pull those up really quick. And this is after... Uh, let's see, seven starts to the season. Ty Majewski, of course, from uh, Thor Sport Racing, is your leader, followed by Zane Smith uh, in second, only 26 points back. Ben Rhodes, of course, in third. Corey Heim is fourth. Christian Eck is rounds out your top five, followed in sixth by Grant Enfinger. Matt Crafton in seventh. Tanner Gray, eighth. Matt DiBenedetto in ninth. And, of course, Chase Purdy, uh, driving the number four for Kyle Busch Motorsports, having a fairly good start to the season. He rounds out the top ten. Okay. So uh, pretty cool to see that ha- what's happening here in the uh, Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, Chase Purdy uh, at 174 points. Just below him with the same number of points, though, is uh, Nick Sanchez. And uh, Nick Sanchez is knocking on the door of getting into uh, uh, playoff contention there. And then you've got uh, Jake Garcia goes back a little bit further at 152 points. Uh, But Nick Sanchez is the closest one to kind of breaking through into that top ten. Yeah, and I think he will, Sharon. When I look at this year's talent in the truck series – um, Nick Sanchez really stands out to me as somebody that that just has it, you know, as it pertains to just raw talent, you know, in in the right personality and the right mindset um, to really make make um, make a splash in the Truck Series moving forward. He's had some really good runs. I really think he's going to win some races, and when he when he does win that first race, it's not going to stop there. It's going to be um, many a win. I think after that first one. And so I, despite not being in the top 10, uh, that's somebody you really got to, I think have to look out for, not just to get into the top 10 in points, but somebody that I think can contend for the championship. I, it's, um, it's, you just, every now and then you see somebody come along that just has that it factor. And, and I think Nick Sanchez has that, Um, you know, I think that he's really done, He's overachieved, I think, to start the season as a rookie, and I, I really think that that's somebody that's going to win a lot of races and has a very bright future. Yes, and what about Matt Benedetto being in that top ten as well? Uh, kind of happy for him after kind of having a rough go of it uh, there for a while. I think he's finding his legs here in the uh, Craftsman Truck Series, and I'm so happy for uh, Ty Majeski being at the top of this list uh, for the Craftsman Truck Series as well. Uh, he's a Wisconsin guy a- as well and uh, part of the uh, Kowicki Driver Development Program. Uh, I know we talked to him a few times uh, before getting to the Truck Series and uh, really impressed with Ty Majeski as well. 
Yeah, just to talk about Ty, um, you probably have figured it out based on my my fantasy picks that we do. But um, <laughs> I, I certainly I, I like Ty a lot. I think that he's just a, a really good guy um, with a good attitude. You know, he's had his ups and downs in the in the sport. You know, as far as racing opportunities are concerned, but I, I really feel like he's found a good home at Thor Sport. Where you know, for those who don't already know this, he's actually a team engineer within that organization and he works as an engineer in the shop through the week and then goes to race that truck on weekends. And, and I think that's so cool. And, and that to me is, is respectable from the standpoint of somebody that, you know, understands what it takes, you know, to make these trucks go fast, but you know, someone that works on these trucks and works on the race program during the week and then goes out there to race on the weekends. I think it's awesome. Um, so, um, for me personally, that's who I pull for in the truck series on a weekly basis. Um, he's, he hasn't won yet this year, but he's been extremely consistent, usually a top five truck, it seems like, week in and week out. Somebody I also feel like, along with Nick Sanchez, that, that's going to win their fair share of races this season. Absolutely, and Ty is uh, 26 points to the good over the second-place driver, last year's champion, Zane Smith. So uh, that speaks volumes as well. Uh, Corey Heim having a good year this year, as is Christian Eckes, uh, some of the newer guys that are up here in the top ten, and Tanner Gray, Chase Purdy. Uh, really good to see all of those guys up in the top ten and kind of, like I say, you know, kind of finding their sea legs, if you will, within the series. And I think, too, with some of these, these drivers that may have had a bit of a slow start to the season, you'll, you'll see some shifts occur throughout the year where, you know, drivers that may have a slow start may gain some momentum. Um, I look at, you know, Chase Purdy as an example of that with Kyle Busch Motorsports, arguably one of the best teams in the, in the, in the business had a, a decent start to the season. You know, he is top 10 in points, but I think that's somebody that could get even better as the year goes on, um, you know, certainly paired with that organization, you'd have to think that, that he may contend for uh, a win or two as the year goes on. So I do look for some of these teams to, to maybe gain some momentum as the season progresses. Absolutely. Um, okay. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll um, I'm kind of multitasking here, so I apologize for that. Who, who do you see that's below that cut line right now that you think might uh, kind of come on a little bit stronger as the season goes along, Andy. Well, let me pull the see uh, the standings back up here, but certainly, I, I definitely think that we're going to see, um, like I like I was talking about just a few moments ago, you, you're going to see some people that have had a bit of a slow start to the season. I think make um, make some moves and gain some momentum certainly as the season progresses. So as I now look at the list, um, we talked about Jake Garcia. That's somebody that has actually had some, you know, a couple really good runs. And I think coupled with the fact he drives for, um, trying to think who his team owner is here, the 19 and the 35 truck. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. I should know who owns his truck, but I don't right now <laughs> for some reason. Um, who, who is Arkham it, Menard's- Andy? Uh, Jake Garcia. Uh, Jake Garcia is. I think he's with uh, McAnally Hildeman oh. Racing. 
Bill McAnally, that's right. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of the yeah. name there, and it and I and I lapsed on that. But nonetheless, as I look at him in twelfth in points, I have to think that you know, coupled with the fact he's with with Bill McAnally, um, you know, and, and I think that that's somebody that will get better as he gains experience throughout the season. He's a rookie. We have to make note of. In fact, he didn't even race at Daytona because he wasn't old enough to race Daytona. So I do think that that's somebody as he gains experience is going to really possibly break out as the year goes on. Of course, his teammate is Christian Eckes, and we've already seen him earn a win. That was at Atlanta earlier this season. So um, he's an example of that. Carson Hosevar obviously um, has that win at uh, at Texas uh, just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Finally got that breakthrough win that we all thought would happen sooner or later. I don't think he's going to stay below um, the top 10 for too long. Stuart Friesen, hard to say with him. You know, he's kind of been hit or miss, uh, but that is somebody I expect that could contend for a win or two at some point. Haley Deegan is still getting acclimated to a new team. She's in 15th, but Thor Sport is one of the best teams in the business, so that's somebody I would expect to get better as the year goes on. Um you know, and then looking out, I'll just round out the top 20 here. Tyler Ankrum drives, of course, for HRE. That's a good team. Um, it's really hard to say what they were going to do. And then you've got Colby Howard uh, in the nine truck. Uh, Raja Caruth, uh, that's a name that stands out a bit. He drives for GMS. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I, I would expect him to get better for sure. That's a team that um, obviously has also been very successful in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, and, and I think that once he gains more experience, he'll get better. Uh, Chris Wright, Timmy Hill, Daniel Dye, I'm looking through here. He's another GMS driver. I just noticed they made a crew chief change, so maybe that'll spark some um, potential for him to get better as well as the year progresses. Absolutely. All right. Uh, just to tell you what I've been working on, on the behind the scenes here, and thank you, Andy, for kind of uh, covering here with uh, some great information. Um, we're going to see if we can get Jake Finch for Thursday night show. Unfortunately, I think something must have come up, and he was not able to call in here tonight. So uh, stay tuned. I don't have a confirmation yet, but that's what we're uh, kind of working on here, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get him on the show. If not Thursday, then somewhere down the road here. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and look at some of the news uh, that's happening within the Craftsman Truck Series. Um, <clears throat> Blake Bainbridge joins GMS Racing as crew chief for Daniel Dye. I know you were just talking about him. Uh, so, yeah, the crew chief change sometimes makes all the difference in the world, right? It definitely can, you know, and that's not to say that you know, the crew chief's the issue or the driver's the issue. You have to find that right combination with the driver and the crew chief um, to to spark the proper communication to be successful. And sometimes making a change like that can, can spark that communication that's needed to, to have success. And certainly that would be the goal in this case, and hopefully that will yield the results they're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, they they parted uh, Travis, uh, who was the crew chief there before Travis Sharp. Uh, they they kind of parted ways amicably, so I don't think there was any conflict that was going on there. I think uh, sometimes it's just a matter of uh, the right dynamics 
between the different personalities. And uh, maybe they'll find that with Blake Bainbridge uh, and Daniel Dye. Uh, and uh, it's, it's like when you meet somebody and something just clicks and you you know that they're uh, they're going to be compatible with you. So uh, that's what they're looking for is that magic that sometimes happens between a driver and a crew chief. Also, uh, Timmy Hill is going to be honoring his dad, Jerry, with a special paint scheme at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Andy? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, certainly excited about that. You know, looking forward to that truck race at North Wilkesboro, but pretty cool for for Timmy to, <coughs> excuse me, to do that. And, um, you know, pretty good-looking truck, too. I'm looking at it right it now, is. and it's a pretty colorful machine. So it'll be fun to see that tribute on the track at uh, North Wilkesboro later this month. Um, also taking a look here. Uh, His GMS dad run that paint scheme. Just, just kind of a quick update here. His dad actually ran that very paint scheme in 1994, so it's really cool to run that same paint scheme for Timmy Hill. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and uh, actually, ironically enough, it's the exact same number uh, as well. Yeah. So pretty cool that Timmy is uh, carrying on his father's legacy. Mhm. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to bring up another one. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, looking looking at some of the other uh, news here. GMS Racing and Grant Enfinger partnered with Chevrolet to promote their military appreciation initiative. And, of course, that will be uh, with a special one race paint scheme that will be driven by Grant this weekend at the Kansas Speedway. Uh, always uh, cool when uh, NASCAR and uh, teams can help promote uh, and appreciate the U.S. military. So certainly uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing that truck this weekend on the track. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I love about NASCAR is the appreciation that they show to uh, those that are currently serving in the U.S. militaries, uh, the armed branches, and then also our veterans. Uh, they do a lot. Uh, to support and honor the military's uh, service. And, in fact, NASCAR is going to honor the U.S. military community through the NASCAR salutes together with Coca-Cola. Uh, this is something that's happened uh, over the last several years. Uh, for nearly a decade, the NASCAR community is going to come together uh, to honor and recognize the United States Armed Forces during the Military Appreciation Month through the annual NASCAR Salutes Together with Coca-Cola program. So this is together with uh, the Coca-Cola company. And uh, a new 30-second television spot debuted on the Fox broadcast of the Cup Series race at Talladega. And uh, this is going to be – you're going to see this highly visible during Memorial Day weekend in the Coca-Cola 600. But they, Andy, are you still there? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I I lost you there for a minute. I thought. Um, so yeah, we're just they they were uh, visible at Dover Motor Speedway this past weekend, but you're going to see them uh, uh, doing this all uh, all throughout the summer, honoring uh, the uh, the people that uh, serve in our U.S. military. 
and that's awesome. And, and one of the things that that's mentioned here, of course, too, is um, like they do every year, honoring the U.S. military with NASCAR salutes together with Coca-Cola. Um, the Coke 600 is always such a fine display of appreciation for the military. We see it every year, and um, certainly really excited uh, about what they'll be able to do moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. Well, we're a little bit early. Is there any other news there that we want to make sure we mention, Andy? Or did we um, pretty much yeah, actually, one of the, something interesting that it should be kind of a pretty cool because it's going to be at North Wilkesboro. But Ron Hornaday, Mike Skinner, and Jeff Hammond are are named the Tyson 250 dignitaries um, for the North Wilkesboro Speedway race, and, and to me that's that's pretty exciting uh, from the standpoint of when you think Ron Hornaday and Mike Skinner, you think NASCAR Camping World Truck Series or NASCAR, excuse me, Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, those two really define that series through its first several seasons, and 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 uh, to me, were were always such a backbone of success in the Craftsman Truck Series, and so. You know, to see them be honored like that at the North Wilkesboro Speedway race, it's going to be fun. Um, I think that that's well-earned and, and will be great to see those guys. Yeah, with this being NASCAR's 75th anniversary, they've done such a great job. I think about the Alabama gang at Talladega Super Speedway and having them do the uh, uh, command to start the engines. And now you've got the dignitaries uh, for the truck series that are going to be there at North Wilkesboro. Um, this this is showing some of the history of this sport uh, by bringing those types of individuals, uh, people that have been such a strong part of the NASCAR Traffman Truck Series uh, and uh, the growth of this sport. So it's really cool to see them uh, doing that during the 75th anniversary of NASCAR. Okay, uh, Andy, let, let's go ahead and move on to our Xfinity Series uh, review of the race at uh, Dover Motor Speedway this weekend. It was a true X weekend at Dover Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, the A-Game 200 was won by Ryan Truex. He's 31 years of age, driving the number 19 Toyota Genuine Accessories Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing with Crew Chief Jason Ratcliffe. It was his first victory in 89 Xfinity Series races, his first victory and third top ten finish this year, and his first victory and fourth top ten finish in seven races at Dover. Josh Berry posted a second-place finish, his third top ten finish in three races at Dover, and his eighth top ten finish this year. Justin Augauer was in third, posting his 16th top 10 finish in 23 races at Dover. And Sammy Smith, who finished sixth, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, Ryan Truex was his first National Series touring race win. And of all places for Ryan Truex, absolutely turned in a career day. Uh, he led a la- he led a dominating 124 of 200 laps at his hometown track, Dover Motor Speedway. He swept both stage wins and ultimately took the checkered flag, an impressive 4.8 seconds ahead of the field to claim that first career victory in the Xfinity Series. 
Um, let's see. Uh, he's had 188 National Touring Series starts. Uh, again, he, he led 124 laps and swept all three stages. Uh, we told you Josh Berry finished second, then it was Justin Algauer in third. Behind them were Austin Hill and John Hunter Nemechek to round out the top five. Then it was Sammy Smith placing sixth, followed by Cole Custer, who uh, won that $100,000 uh, dash for cash bonus in seventh. Brendan Jones, Sam Mayer, and Daniel Hemrick round out the top ten. There were 11 lead changes among five drivers and six cautions for 33 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 107.191 miles per hour. Andy, your thoughts about the top ten at uh, Dover in the Xfinity Series? Yeah, first off, I just I have to say how happy I am for Ryan Truex. I think that that yes. was a long time coming to get to get a win and to get his first career win. Um, needing 124 of 200 laps is very impressive. A breakthrough victory, I think it's well earned. Um, you know, he has kind of fought and clawed to get opportunities in this sport. Uh, finally, got a limited opportunity with Joe Gibbs Racing and earns the win. Uh, pretty cool to see that. That's uh, a home track for him and his brother. And so pretty cool to see that. But uh, Josh Berry, of course, continues his Dover consistency, um, mm-hmm. as well as Justin Allgaier back in third. Much needed finishes, I feel like, for those two teams. And I say this because, um, you know, JR Motorsports has really had a lot of bad luck to start the season, torn up a lot of race cars. There's been uh, some on-track battles and issues between teammates, and they just haven't been getting the results they've needed. Um, pretty hard to believe that they've gone winless so far to start the year, but those are good finishes, and those are the kinds of finishes that can help get some momentum back on their side. Austin Hill, consistent there in fourth. Um, John Hunter Nemechek in fifth thought maybe he'd be a little bit more of a factor. Same with Sammy Smith. He was my race pick. Um, can't say enough good things about Sammy. I think for a rookie, he's been doing a really good job. And, um, you know, I thought, thought maybe he'd be a little bit better than six, but still a good finish nonetheless. And the same with Cole Custer. Um, same with Custer to finish in seventh. That's, you know, certainly thought, you know, that he'd – be a bit more of a factor for the win there. In fact, I saw him win a race in person at Dover back in 2019 in the Xfinity <laughs> Series. But um, good cool. good finishes good finishes for these guys. Brandon Jones, you know, they've had a lot of bad luck to start the year. A good solid top ten, the same with Sam Mayer. In fact, uh, as I look at this, four, all four JR Motorsports cars get top tens. That's much needed for sure. And then uh, Daniel Hemrick, uh, fairly consistent finish for him in tenth. So, um, some much-needed finishes, though, amongst that top ten um, after what's been kind of a tough start to the year for some of these teams. Yes, indeed. Only ten cars on the lead lap at the end of this race. Uh, several cars finished a lap down uh, or two laps down, three laps down, four laps, five laps. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing seven laps and eight laps down, uh, going all the way down to the 34th place position. Uh, so I'm not going to cover all of those, uh, but I will talk about those drivers that um, uh, had issues throughout this race, 
starting with Parker Kligerman. What a disappointment. He had such a great finish uh, last week, uh, and he had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 62 this week. Uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt had an engine issue that took him out of the race on lap 119. Anthony Alfredo had issues with his brakes taking him out of the race on lap 123. And then Corey Heim, we talked about how well he's doing in the truck series. He also had engine issues that took him out of the race on lap 170. So uh, kind of a disappointment uh, for those drivers. All of them wanted to have better finishes than what they had. Uh, But sometimes mechanical issues happen, and unfortunately uh, that bug hit those drivers uh, this weekend. It did, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to get themselves back on track in a couple of weeks. Yes, I'm hoping so as well. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and cover the uh, point standings for these guys in the Xfinity Series after 10 races already. <clears throat> All right, after uh, 10 races here, looking at um, Austin Hill, of course, is your points leader. He's had a very strong start to the season, as has John Hunter Nemechek in second. Of course, um, taking a look at those guys, three wins for Austin Hill, two wins for Nemechek. That's why those two are atop the standings. Chandler Smith, as a rookie, though, is in third. He's had a solid start to the season. Josh Berry in fourth. Justin Allgaier in fifth. Cole Custer, sixth. Sheldon Creed, seventh. Riley Herbs, eighth. Uh, Sammy Smith, ninth, and Daniel Hemrick rounds out the top ten. So um, no surprise there as far as the points leaders go. Uh, they're the ones that have definitely had the most success to start the year. And uh, as a result, they're, they're your points leaders. Yep, and then you've got Sam Mayer in 11th and Brandon Jones. Uh, they're on top of the cut line here for the Xfinity Series, so they're in playoff contention right now. Uh, but a lot can change. Uh, points, just 10 points behind Brandon Jones is Jeb Burton. He's below the cut line, but he's tied with Parker Kligerman. And, of course, uh, the problems that Parker had this weekend certainly did not help him. Uh, but they're both tied just 10 points back uh, from that cut line here in the Xfinity Series. And then you've got um, Ryan Truex. Right now he's 18th, but guess what? He's got a win. <laughs> so I don't know. He does. He racing... he's, he's a part-time driver. He's only supposed to run a few races this year. That'll be interesting to see if something changes there or not. Um, yeah. Interesting that he's, he's run actually only Five. half. That, this is what's... This is what's most impressive about this is he's run half the races that everybody else has, and yet he uh, sits 18 points. That's actually pretty impressive. It's amazing <laughs> what a win will do for you. Um, does quite a bit. Um, that is but quite certainly a bit. His, his win plus his two stage victories really goes a long way. And he's, he's outrunning some pretty big names here. You know, Kaz Grawa, um Anthony Alfredo and some others here that are full time. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's, he's right that's in pretty the same impressive. Neck of the woods. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, pretty impressive to be in that position. Well, maybe this will change. Maybe he'll 
he'll run some more races. I don't know what the plan is this year, but uh, certainly that win has to has to help. Yeah, and and same thing with Jeb Burton. He's below the cut line right now. He's ten points back, but he has a win, so that puts him into contention, and it would displace then Brandon Jones, putting him putting Brandon Jones below that cut line and Jeb Burton on top of that cut line. Yeah, and, and you know that's the key here, of course, is is that those wins really will go a long way, and, and any one of these drivers that's below the cut line could do the same thing and may do the same thing. Um, we've already talked about Parker Kligerman. He's another one that, while below the cut line, could easily see him earning a win or two and, and get himself into playoff contention. So um, despite being below the cut line, a win really will change everything. Absolutely. And what about our rookies? We've got two rookies, Andy, that are in this uh, playoff contention group. Uh, they're in the top nine drivers, Sammy Smith in that ninth uh, place spot. Uh, he does have a race win, so he's going to be in. And Chandler Smith also has a race win this season. Uh, but these are rookies that are competing with some of the veterans of the sport here in the Xfinity Series, and uh, they're going to be uh, in the playoffs. Pretty cool to see that. Yeah, they've both done a pretty good job to start the year, too, Um you know, Chandler Smith's been competitive for colleague racing. And uh, Sammy Smith has been a quick study, I feel like. He has mm-hmm. very limited experience in stock cars, and yet he is uh, running like a veteran at times out there on the racetrack, doing a fine job. And, and that's somebody I think that's only going to get better as the season progresses. And so in my mind, you know, that's that's somebody that you may have to contend with for the championship. Yep, both of these drivers were Arkham Menard Series drivers, and I'll tell you, they were the same way in the Arkham Menard Series. Very quick studies, uh, rising to the top very quickly. Uh, Sammy has a championship under his belt in the Arca uh, East, and uh, I think that uh, we're going to see great things from both of those guys uh, throughout their careers. So I'm excited to see what they continue to do in the truck series uh, for the rest of this year. Are there any drivers below the cut line that you think could uh, make it make their way uh, above other than the ones we've already mentioned? Well, Ryan Sieg, I think, is somebody that has, has always put himself into playoff contention on a yearly basis. Um, Brett Moffitt, I, I think that that's somebody that may, may be having a bit of a slow start to the year, but I, I would expect him – um, to gain momentum as the season progresses. Same with Kaz Grala. Um I feel like that um, that's a team that's been snake-bitten by bad luck to start the year. Um, mm-hmm. th- that team should run better than it has been, so I would expect them to, to get better. And, and, you know, looking down through here, those are really the ones that stand out the most, I feel like. But um, mm-hmm. you'll, defini- you'll definitely see um, – some drivers, much like the truck series, as I mentioned, that may be suffering from slow starts to the season that will gain momentum and improve as the year goes on. And you may see some others that uh, taper off just a bit. So I do think you'll see some fluctuation and and ultimately probably some changes within the point standings and some that are in will be out and vice versa. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, we talked about how that one bad race really hurt Parker Kligerman, uh, but he can get some momentum going too. Uh, he dropped three points in the uh, point standings this week. Riley Erbst uh, also dropped four points, uh, not four points, but four spots in the point standings after uh, some frustrations uh, at uh, Dover. So uh, you never know. Uh, things, things. Uh, he Riley in particular had a really good start to the season, uh, so we'll see if he can kind of pick that back up and get himself back into that top five. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the Cup Series here. I know we're a little bit early, uh, but uh, we'll use up that time. If uh, Jay comes on, maybe we'll have him give us a fantasy update. <clears throat> but anyway. Uh, in the Cup Series at Dover Motor Speedway in the Worth 400, uh, again, it was another Truex in victory lane. This time it was Martin Truex Jr., age 42, again, driving the number 19 for Joe Gibbs Racing, the best pro, ships to- pro shops Toyota uh, with the crew chief James Small. I'm getting a bit tongue-tied here. I apologize for that. It was his 32nd victory in 632 Cup Series races, his first victory and fourth top ten finish in this year. Uh, I don't know, did you see the media interviews, Andy? Somebody asked him about his long, winless drought, and Martin Truex, I thought, was going to jump out of his chair. Um, He says, I've got 32 victories in this sport. (laughs) So I, you know... I don't think it's been a long <laughs> winless streak. Uh, but anyway, uh, 32 victories and 636 Cup Series starts. Uh, again, his fourth victory and 19th top 10 finish in 33 races at Dover. Ross Chastain finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in nine races at Dover and his fifth top 10 finish of the year. Ryan Blaney finished third for his third top 10 finish in 13 races at Dover. Ty Gibbs, who finished 13th, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Um, Now, this race also, let's see if I can get to, I thought I had it up here, but I didn't. Okay, the recap of the race. Uh, again, it was Truex Brothers sweeping the weekend at Dover this weekend. Uh, it was all in the family, a kin, a kin to win kind of weekend. Uh, so Martin Truex answered his younger brother Ryan's Xfinity Series victory on, on Saturday with a win on Monday after the rain delay of the Worth 400. Uh, it was the fourth win of his career at the one-mile oval that he considers his home track. Truex started 17th in the 36-car field after qualifying was canceled because of weather, and then he methodically worked his way forward in his number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. The 42-year-old New Jersey native finally took the lead for the first time with 69 laps remaining and led all but one of those final laps to claim his first points-paying victory of the season, ending a 54-race winless streak. Uh, So, again, uh, his fourth win at Dover, the 32nd of his career, uh, Chastain in second, Blaney in third. Then it was Byron 
in fourth, Hamlin in fifth to round out the top five, followed by Christopher Bell, Tyler Ruddick, Brad Keselowski, Chris Buescher, and Josh Berry rounding out the top ten. Uh, Truex was leading when a caution came out with 14 laps left. The drivers on the lead lap pitted. Truex, Blaney, and Bell took just two tires, while Chastain on four tires made a late push but finished half a second back. The pole winner, Kyle Busch, had a speeding penalty on pit road during the competition caution. He suffered some nose damage in an early accident and ended up finishing 21st. Stage one was won by William Byron, stage two by Ross Chastain. There were 19 lead changes among eight drivers and seven cautions for 46 yellow flight laps. The average speed of the race was 115.505 miles per hour. Andy, your thoughts about uh, the top ten here at Dover? That's pretty cool to see the Truex brothers uh, both win this weekend. I think that um, it's funny. We we joke about, you know, the, the winless streak for Truex. But, you know, it has been a little bit since he's won a race, and I think that that was – a much needed victory for him and his team um, to maybe get some momentum to win other, to to win some more races, you know, and, and um, it has been just a little bit since we've last seen him in victory lane. So good to see him win. Um, It's been documented that the, the true X's considered Dover to be a home track just up the road, really from, or just down the road rather from uh, New Jersey where they're from. So cool to see, you know, both of them get to victory lane, but good for Martin, certainly. I think that that'll help him uh, gain some momentum as the season progresses. Um, Ross Chastain in second. I think we'll be talking more about that finish, uh, <laughs> possibly on Hot Topics. Um, yeah. Nonetheless, he, fin- he finishes in second. Could have maybe been more than that had some other things not occurred. Ryan Blaney, I read, uh, was it earned his best career finish at Dover, so that's a, a good finish for him, certainly. Uh, William Byron, kind of a heartbreak for him. Out of he led 193 of the 400 mm-hmm. laps, so I think to finish fourth is it's probably a bit of a disappointment for him. But nonetheless, salvages a top five finish. Hamlin in fifth isn't too surprising. Same with Bell and Reddick; those are your usual top ten suspects. Brad Keselowski and Chris Busher, though that's um that's those are good finishes for for RFK yeah. racing. I think that they're they're slowly and methodically starting to get better. Um, certainly they've, they've had some tough races this year, but they are showing improvement over 2022, and that's the key. Uh, and then, of course, Josh Berry, the super sub, um, earning a top 10, I, I think is impressive, really. He's done a really good job filling in in both the number 9 and 48 Chevrolets for Hendrick Motorsports this season. And so for for him to earn a top 10 is, is pretty good, you know, and that's his first race working with the 48 team, which, which means it's a different crew chief and different personnel than he worked with on the nine car. So I think that anytime you can jump into a car that you maybe you're not necessarily familiar with, and, and you were at a top 10 in the cup race, you've, uh, you've done a pretty good job. I would say so. And he beat uh, Chase Elliott. So that's saying something as well. Um, I will say, uh, similar to the Xfinity Series race, uh, there are only 12 cars completing all 400 laps of this race. Uh, several cars, again, finishing laps down 
from one lap down to uh, several laps down, going all the way down to uh, the 32nd position, uh, and a few cars having incidents that took them out of the race, starting with Ty Dillon uh, out on lap 34 because of an accident. Daniel Suarez uh, was out on lap 35. Uh, again, because of an accident. Noah Gregson, uh, for the damaged vehicle policy, was out on lap 43. And Brendan Poole, of course, had that accident that we'll be talking about later on tonight. Uh, he was out of the race on lap 79. So uh, uh, not many drivers having uh, issues at Dover, uh, but a lot of drivers uh, not really finishing on the lead lap with only 12 of those drivers. Uh, completing only all 400 laps of the race. Pretty amazing. But not necessarily for it Dover, is. right, Andy? <laughs> yeah, you know, it is It is pretty amazing, but Dover can have that effect at times. Um, <clears throat> I like that racetrack. It's a, it's a tough racetrack. Um, it's only one mile in length, but because of the if banking and speed, it puts a lot of load on the equipment and the drivers more so than most tracks. And so, um, it, it's always it's always a good race. And, and despite only there being twelve cars on the lead lap, I, I think that's pretty common for for what we've come to know there over the years. Um, but it's I, I think the racing was good, certainly like it always is. Mhm, definitely. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the points report here for the NASCAR Cup Series. We'll do the top 16, Andy. Excuse me. Um, yeah, let's take a look at the point standings here for the Cup Series momentarily while I pull that up. I think I've developed the uh, the frog in the throat that you've been suffering as oh, well dear. here, so bear <laughs> bear with me on that. No, it's, everything's fine. I'm just pulling up the point standings here, of course. This is after um, 11 races in the Cup Series. Yeah, so after 11 races, of course, looking at Ross Chastain as your points leader, he's followed closely by Christopher Bell, who's only a mere three points back, so certainly a very close battle there. Um, Kevin Harvick in third, he's been pretty consistent. Martin Truex Jr., of course, coming off that big win at Dover. He's in fourth with Ryan Blaney earning a top five at Dover. He rounds out the top five in the point standings. Tyler Reddick is in sixth. Denny Hamlin, seventh. Of course, Kyle Busch in eighth. Brad Keselowski, ninth. And rounding out the top ten is uh, Kyle Larson. Okay, and looking at the drivers that are eligible for the playoffs, You've also got Chris Buescher, well, William Byron in 11th, uh, Chris Buescher in 12th, followed by Joey Logano, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Alex Bowman, only 10 races in, and he's uh, 15th in the points right now. Chase Briscoe uh, is that 16th driver that's above that cut line, and uh, those drivers that are below the cut line include Daniel Suarez and Ty Gibbs. and uh it, this one's not as close as it was in the uh in the uh Xfinity series but Ty Gibbs uh is holding the uh fort down here as far as the rookie uh of the year uh in that uh, 18th place spot. He is and you know truthfully I I think going into the season that 
there was an opportunity for this to be a bit of a closer battle uh, between he and, and the other rookie of the year candidate, Noah Gregson. But Gregson's really struggled, to be honest, and, and whereas Ty Gibbs has actually been far more consistent with some, some solid top 10 runs and um, currently finds himself in 18th in standings, whereas Gregson's back there in 32nd. So, um, yeah, Gibbs is having, I think, a, a quietly good rookie season, not really making much noise, not like we're accustomed to from his days in the Xfinity series. I think, you know, having a, a quietly good season where he's just kind of cranking out top 10s and um, and doing what needs to be done and gaining valuable experience that he can use later on, uh, doing what he needs to do. And, and, and I think that has lent itself to a, a pretty good start to his rookie campaign. Exactly. And it's not uh, unusual, but uh, there's three drivers here that have more than one win, and that includes Kyle Busch, who sits in eighth, followed by Kyle Larson in tenth, and William Byron in eleventh. Of course, they uh, a couple of those drivers lost points uh, via a penalty or well, okay, we'll we'll talk about that. But it's uh, uh, not surprising that they have double digits when it comes to playoff points. Uh, Kyle Busch has the 10 playoff points for his two wins. Kyle Larson has the 10 playoff points for the two wins, but he gets two additional stage wins for two more points, so he has 12. And William Byron has the two wins, but he's got six stage wins but he only has 11 points, and that's because uh, some of those points were taken away as a result of the penalties. So when we reset, some of those drivers will move up in those standings. Yes, they certainly will once uh, they get that all taken care of. Okay. Okay, let me see if um, Jay is here. Let's see if we can bring him in to the queue. And, uh, Jay, I was hoping you'd be here early because I was hoping maybe you could give us an update on our fantasy group. I had a good weekend this weekend. I was going to say, I can't imagine why. And had you told me that ahead of time, I might not have been here early. I'd have been here right on time. Uh, no, I actually myself had an okay weekend, but I will certainly give that update. Uh, let's see. We'll start with the truck series. I know they've been off, but they'll be running back at Kansas. Our host tonight here, I appreciate Andy being able to fill in. Andy's leading yeah. the truck series with 38 points. Uh, Tommy, 34. Sharon, you're at 32. Sam's at 30. Mike is at 28. Owen, 26. Brian and James tied at 25. And that's a really tight group. And then you got me at 21 points all the way at the bottom. So we'll move on to the Xfinity Series. <laughs> uh, here we got Sharon. This one's been tight at the top. Uh, Sharon now leads at 51 points. Mike is at 50. There was a swap there. James is at 43. Andy at 42. And me at 41. I'm going to point apart each of those. Brian, 36. Owen, 35, as well as Tommy. And then Sam at 33. And on the cup side, uh, this one hasn't been a swap for the lead, but it's tightened up. James still leading. I think he has pretty much all the season. 70 points. Owen's now at 66. I'm at 65. 
Tommy's at 59. Brian, 58 with Sam. Mike at 57. And then there's at the bottom. Sharon, you're up to eighth now at 41 points. And Andy is down to 39. Which, we joked back and forth, but overall this has been amazing. Um, through all the races, all three series, the overall points, James 138, Mike 135, Tommy 128, me and Owen 127, Sharon 124, Sam 121, Brian and Andy at 119, which means there's only 19 points separating top to bottom on all of us on the overall. So that's amazing. Wow, that is amazing. I know I needed every point I could get there in the Cup Series. Uh, that's been my worst series this year. Uh, but Martin came through for me this weekend, so that was good. Well, and on the Xfinity Series, for the first time in four weeks, I don't have to pick first. I have picked first because I've had the worst driver. But I will say <laughs> this. I think uh, James, James is one that has the worst out of the Xfinity Series. We have nine players. His driver finished 11th in the race. That means all nine of our picks were in the top 11. I mean, that's some tough wow. competition there. <laughs> that is. That is. Okay. Well, Andy, uh, I want to add my thank you to you for being available here tonight. Uh, one, on a Tuesday night, which is off of our regular schedule, and uh, uh, for the review show. Uh, I know that you've uh, subbed for us on the previous show before, but uh, I think this might be the first time you've subbed on the uh, review show. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I, I'm trying to remember looking back. I think if I've done it, it may be once or twice. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly grateful to, to fill in. You know, thanks for the opportunity. And, and I like doing the full shows on occasion. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll do it again at some point soon. But, uh, yeah, it's always Always fun to do this and talk racing. You know, there's nothing better than that. So uh, always grateful for the opportunity. Well, we appreciate you being available uh, for sure. And uh, also we have joining us here tonight for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off conversation is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hell, good evening, everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, and Jay, don't call to come back, but I did call in just in time to hear Jay go through our fantasy points, and I started this season <laughs> in a deeper hole than Chase Elliott, and I am slowly crawling my way back. It's incredible. It is incredible, Mike. Uh, I, I've had a similar uh, – I'm doing okay in the truck and the Xfinity, but the Cup Series has been horrible for me this year, so – uh, I finally got a win this weekend, so that was helpful. Uh, now, Mike, Sharon. Gonna... Yeah, go ahead, Andy. Nobody's worse than me in the Cup Series, though. And if it weren't for the <laughs> fact I got chastained this weekend, I might have had a shot at the oh. win. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, we'll see what happens uh, as the season continues. And I'm sure the name Chastain will come up in our Hot Topics uh, conversation here tonight. Mike, you get the first uh, shot at what we talk about. Well, I'm going to go for the low-hanging fruit here and go for the big news from today. Legacy Motor Club announced that they are switching manufacturers after this season. So from the 2024 season onward, LMC will become a Toyota-affiliated team for their two cars. This is the second major manufacturer swap in recent years that has 
been under the hat all the way until the point where they released it. Remember a couple of years ago, Stuart Haas surprised everybody by switching to Ford. Now LMC has pulled off a similar surprise with their switch to Toyota. Yes, indeed. Jay, have you caught up with that news? You know, I hadn't heard anything, uh, mainly because I wasn't uh, listening to any programs or anything uh, throughout the day, but while I was out and about tonight, uh, that's what was on the on the radio on Sirius XM radio, and I was like, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't tune in when I heard who they were interviewing. But putting the pieces together, I'm like, wait a minute, they're talking about Jimmy Johnson, they're talking about Legacy, and they're talking about Toyota, and I was like, wait, that can't be right. There, there's no way. Um, so yeah, putting all the pieces together, um, a lot of things went, and it was specifically Todd Gordon on the Late Shift was talking about. Um, this makes sense from a lot of different perspectives. First off, you start with Toyota. They only got Joe Gibbs Racing and now Team 2311 as far as Toyotas. They have said they are lacking in numbers and looking to change that. When you look at Team uh, the Legacy Motor Club, and this is something Todd Gordon kind of filled in that I didn't fully realize, that the manufacturers, I know they're the ones that control the information and data when it comes to wind tunnel time and now all that because teams can't test and get the information on their own. They weren't getting as much of that because you have Hendrick Motorsports, like it or not, that's the flagship team of Chevrolet. RCR and uh, Trackhouse. I know RCR is kind of rebuilding, but they've been a staple of Chevrolet forever. Trackhouse is up there winning races. Legacy Motor Club was, if you will, fourth. Here they go to at least third, and it's with Toyota, who doesn't have as many cars, can share or is willing to share amongst many because they don't have that full boat. Um, so, and I know that's when you go back to Mike brought up the, the Stuart Haas uh, racing deal. They went from being the same thing under a Hendrick affiliate, kind of fourth, third, fourth, fifth in line to being the top Ford, if you will, or close to it. I know they came out and won the championship, so they kind of got put at the top. Um, that, you know, it makes sense. So uh, a lot of it makes sense, but uh, I'm with Mike. It totally caught me off guard. Like I said, as I was listening and piecing it together, I'm like, wait, that can't be. That that can't be. <laughs> that can't be. <laughs> but it is. Andy, your thoughts? Well, much like the Stuart Hawk news um, going into the 2017 season, this came out of left field and there were no rumors, at least not that I saw of this manufacturer change occurring. So uh, props to legacy motor club for, for keeping a secret, a secret until they announced it. But <laughs> it comes as a, it comes as a huge surprise to me ultimately Um for one thing, GMS Racing, which has since morphed into what is now known as Legacy Motor Club, has always been a Chevrolet team all these years. And and so hasn't Jimmy Johnson in regards to his NASCAR career exclusively with Chevrolet all through the years with Hendrick Motorsports, the 48 team, and, and seven championships. So for him to now be associated with Toyota is really a shock in my mind, not something I saw coming or could have predicted, and um, it, it's really a surprise on both fronts to see not just that team change, but also Jimmy Johnson now be associated with Toyota. But, you know, Jimmy Johnson 
isn't so much a race car driver now as he is a business person and a team owner. And evidently that team looked at what it needs to do to be successful moving forward and felt Toyota gives them that best opportunity. And and Toyota did say in somewhat recent times they were looking uh, to add depth and add teams to their, their roster moving forward not some not something they've really done a lot of recently they really focused more on uh quality over quantity but they have since shifted their focus to having more of a presence on the racetrack trying to be more like a Chevrolet um type presence in the cup series and so obviously whatever deal they've gotten uh, legacy motor club feels like this is the direction they need to move in in order to to be more successful on the racetrack uh, just a surprising move, certainly, and and but unfortunately now it it puts them in a lame duck situation. I think for the remainder of the season, um, it's already difficult enough as it is to try to be competitive with the next gen car and, and any amount of data and information that you can get, um, you know, from your manufacturer would certainly help in in being competitive. And and you have to think now they're probably not going to be involved as much in manufacturer meetings and acquisition of data. So unfortunately it puts them in an already deeper hole than they're already in. They've not been good to put it bluntly to start the season. Both teams have struggled and I'm afraid those struggles will continue to uh, close out the season, which is too bad for Eric Jones and Noah Gregson. So, you know, Unfortunately for that team, they've effectively written off 2023, I think, with the eye on uh, coming out strong with a new manufacturer for 2024. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to uh, maybe hit the reset button a bit, you know, and, and, and you know, write off of a part of a season to try to rebuild and, and, and refocus on being better for the following year. And I think that's the case here with Legacy Motor Club. Yeah, um, you know, and along with that, Andy, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to make a switch or you're going to make an announcement, why not do it now? Because they're at the bottom of the totem pole as it is right now with Chevrolet. They didn't feel that they were getting the information they needed to be as successful as they felt that they could be. And so... Uh, if you're going to make that switch, they wanted to get the announcement, I think, out of the way so that they could focus on the rest of this year and get ready for uh, the 2024 season. And and I heard that over and over again during the media interview today. Um, their focus, in fact, people were asking about uh, Jimmy Johnson if he was going to be racing in a Toyota next season. And he said, my mind's not even there yet. My mind is focused on what we're going to do this year to get the most that we can for the rest of this year. So they they haven't um, given up. They're still going to try to do the very best that they can with the situation that they have. And I, th- I think that they will forth a big effort. But here's a couple of other reasons why I think this move makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> one is that Jimmy Johnson reminded everybody that uh, I have raced with Honda in the IndyCar series, so this is not the first manufacturer change that I've had in my career. Um, you know, I'm coming in here 
and we're racing Chevys with Legacy Motorsports this year. But when you look at the reasons for making this change, um, uh, I'm happy to make this change to Toyota. And they felt that Toyota was going to do the most for them and not put them kind of on the back burner, which is what I get a sense that they feel now uh, being in Chevrolet's. So um, it's kind of like these things ebb and flow, if you will. Toyota was at the top of the heap there for a while. They lost drivers going to other manufacturers. Uh, Nord Gregson was one of those drivers. Eric Jones was one of those drivers. Those are two former Toyota development drivers that went to Chevrolet, and now Toyota is getting them back. So uh, I think that's another reason that this makes a lot of sense. Um, And so um, uh, I do think that this is Toyota's effort. They know that they've lost ground. They want to gain that ground back, and they're, they're doing it by bringing Legacy Motor Club into their fold. And I think that's the other reason why this makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and Maury Gallagher are pretty much the people that are running that organization right now, and probably more Jimmy Johnson than Maury Gallagher because he has a full-time job uh, elsewhere as well with Allegiant Airlines. So um, uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, wants to do everything he can uh, to move the needle with this organization, and I think this is the way to make that happen. They did say that they talked to uh, Richard Petty and that he has their blessing. He he has no problem with making the change. Uh, I know fans tend to have more of an issue uh, with an organization, uh, with the organization moving to Toyota's. However, they know that that's going to happen. They know that it's polarizing. They're prepared for that. Uh, but they feel that they're doing what's best for the organization, and that's why they're moving forward with it. So it sounds to me like they're doing this uh, well aware uh, of what they're doing and what they're confronted with for this year and going into next year. And uh, it sounds uh you know the more i talk about it and the more i listen about it uh the more sense it actually does make mike i'm curious to hear your thoughts man i really wish i'd gone in front of andy because he he took almost everything that i was looking to say uh regarding maury gallagher <laughs> and gms then like like andy said very very deep roots with chevrolet and jimmy johnson as well uh through his time with hendrick motorsports but like you said, Sharon, at the end of the day, this is a business. It's a business decision, and Jimmy Johnson and LMC have made the business decision to change manufacturers. Let's be realistic here. Manufacturers don't mean as much as they used to in terms of the differences between the cars. With the Gen 7 car, the car is identical from Chevrolet to Ford to Toyota, The base model of the car is identical. All the parts are the same with the exception of some cosmetic parts on the front and rear bumpers, the hood, and then the big difference between them is the engines. But even the engines are allegedly the same horsepower, the same type of engine. They're all pushrod V8 engines, for example. So realistically, 
a different manufacturer is basically a different sponsor revenue stream and a different set of brain power working on a strategy to take that identical equipment, do different things with it in order to be better against your competition who is trying to do the same thing with their version of the same equipment. So like you said, Sharon, the, the rivalry between manufacturers really comes down to fan loyalty more than anything else. Uh, the days of win on Sunday, sell on Monday are long, long behind us, as well as the idea that I, I see this car on the track in a NASCAR Cup Series race. Nobody sees a car during a NASCAR Cup Series race and thinks, hey, I'm going to go down to my local dealership and I'm going to buy me one of those because they know that the cars that are on the track and the NASCAR Cup Series don't realistically represent their on-street counterparts. So realistically, a change of manufacturer like LMC is doing is not that big of a deal from a business and technical standpoint. Um, it's more of a, a revenue and information stream. And speaking of information stream, this is interesting because a lot of people have been saying, what happened to LMC this year? Why are they so lousy in 2023 when last year, especially the number 43 car, was really showing a lot of promise, especially in the back half of last year. Eric Jones won the Southern 500, not just on strategy or some fluke. He flat out went out there and won that race on speed. And it looked like the 43 was really in contention to, to win several more races in addition to that Southern 500. And then all of a sudden this season, the 42 and the 43 have been terrible. The 42, uh, Noah Gregson, Chase Elliott spotted him six races and is still ahead of the 42 in points, and he's only maybe a race or so behind the 43 in points. That, that just shows how much Legacy Motor Club has declined this year, and this makes a lot of sense as to what was going on behind the scenes that may have contributed to that downfall in performance. Interestingly enough, it wasn't – this is – something that I've read on Reddit, so take it for what it's worth. I'm not sure what their source of this information was, but the speculation was LMC said that they were going to go to Toyota, so Chevy cut them off. But the, according to this poster on Reddit, again, for what it's worth, Chevy cut them off first. It sounds like Chevy was trying to consolidate resources, and LMC was deprioritized for things like simulator time, R&D work, things like that, the kind of stuff that you take to make an okay race car and make it better, LMC was cut off or at least put down to the bottom of the priority heap, kind of like what Jay was talking about, and that is what spurred this look for a different manufacturer partner, which led to Toyota. Toyota benefits from this as well, kind of like you highlighted, Sharon. They get two of their development drivers back that they let slip through their fingers over the past few years in addition to adding two more cars. So now Toyota will have eight full-time cars, theoretically competitive cars, versus basically the team and a half worth of cars that they had for Joe Gibbs Racing and uh, 2311, those six cars combined. So now Toyota is going to have eight cars on the racetrack. Chevrolet, I think, is going to have 10, and then Ford is going to have, uh, I think, close to another 10. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head for quick math. So it really evens up the playing field in terms of manufacturers represented on the racetrack. Where that really matters super speedways where your drafting partners are going to be your, uh, your manufacturing partners, but also the information sharing and uh, research and development work that goes on between teams. Martin Truex just won this past weekend at Dover. Well, he is more, more than likely locked into the playoffs, so now that 19 team can start focusing on playoff preparations. And then the work that the 19 team does can then be shared with other Toyota teams to benefit them. 
LMC can now plug into that information stream, maybe not this year, but definitely starting in 2024. So even if the 42 or 43 don't win a race and become eligible for the playoffs themselves, they can get that information stream started with those manufacturing partners and maybe get themselves better positioned for success later on in the season. And that wasn't an opportunity that they had with Chevrolet. We'll see how this works out for them in the future, but it's definitely a big change of pace. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, I'm going to focus on some things that I did agree with Mike and Sharon on rather than what I disagree with Mike on there, but uh, there's some things there too. The, the things you're talking about as far as their developmental program, you mentioned Noah Gregson as well as Eric Jones initially came through Toyota. And we've talked about this in the past, and it's happening within this past year. Uh, Riley Herps left. Brandon Jones left. There was nowhere for them to grow and move up. Harrison Burton's another one you've got to put into that category. So this gives them that window of two more teams. Not that they need to with Noah Gregson or Eric Jones, but Martin Truex has been under talk of retirement. Denny Hamlin possibly moving over to his own team, um, opening up a spot there. So there are some other things going on there that they've lost drivers because there's no room at the cup level because they only had, as you said, the limited number versus everybody else. Um, all around, business-wise, it clearly does make sense when you look at that um, the one thing I did take from it, if listening on, uh, it was on the late shift, but they played some interview recaps from Mari Golliger this morning on one of the earlier shows. When it comes to the truck series, uh, I think Mike mentioned it, that he's been Chevrolet through and through. It was made clear that, and I don't know if this was all Jimmy Johnson's decision, I think Sharon maybe mentioned it, that he seems to be more leading the cup side, but... Uh, Mari Gallagher did say that the truck series team is remaining a Chevrolet. It is a separate entity, and Jimmy Johnson is not involved in that. This is Legacy Motor Club's the Cup Series program. The truck series is GMS Racing still and is Mari Gallagher. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting note. So I don't know if that was one of those where we've seen it in the past. you got two owners. There's kind of a split decision on what should be done. He's taken that as far as the cup side, and that's what's best. But the truck series is staying under Chevrolet and is his program. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing I took from what I heard uh, this evening. Um, the, the other thing, like I said, overall business sense-wise and all that, and Mike did hit on it, I had heard the same thing of that you knew that as a Chevrolet team, they were down the list. Uh, I'm not going to try and rank them or say what they were or weren't getting, but they were down the list. And by moving over to Toyota, they're at the top of the list. And I think overall, Toyota has set that standard of information sharing that other manufacturers are kind of growing into, but still have not been what we've seen from Toyota. Um, so there again, uh, I, I think as a, maybe it was Todd Gordon, I believe, that put it of they offered something Chevrolet didn't or wouldn't or couldn't. I don't know how it falls under what wording you want to put it, but it's there and they can get it now, whereas they couldn't before or weren't. So uh, business-wise, it just makes sense. Andy. Well, you know, Jay, you bring up a, a really interesting point there that I had not heard in, in the fact that 
GMS Racing will remain Chevrolet while the cup side of things, Legacy Motor Club, shoots just to Toyota for next year. Um, that's, I think, the first time that I've seen where an owner has a completely different manufacturer in one series versus another series. And to me, that's a bit perplexing, really. Um, one would surmise that you know, GMS Racing would would be a bit of a farm team or develop talent to potentially make their way to the Cup Series at some point, and and one would think that that would involve Toyota. So to me, that's that's a, a bit strange. I'm not sure why they would do that. Um, and and like you mentioned, you know, I don't know if that's a difference in philosophies from the two principal owners there, but that that to me is is a bit intriguing. I'm be curious to see how that um, develops over time, but. But nonetheless, you know, something to reiterate from my first time through, obviously a business decision. Um, and, and like Jay said, it's really tough to, to put their ranking where they presently were with Chevrolet, but they weren't the first, second, and probably not even the third team on the list. We know for sure they're going to be the third team for sure within Toyota and, and really probably on the level of, of 2311 racing. So, um this has the potential to really elevate that program and, and really make them more relevant on the racetrack. So I think you can see why they made this decision. It does make sense. And um, I think it can only uh, position themselves to be better uh, in 2024. Okay. Let me, let me offer some clarification with regard to the truck series uh, because Mark Gallagher was on this uh, uh, media interview as well. And from what I heard him say, and I'll go back and listen to it again, um, I, what I heard him say is that, yes, we are Chevrolet right now and will be for the rest of this year. If it makes sense for us to make a change to another manufacturer, we will do that. Uh, but that is not where we are right at this moment. So that's still yet to be determined is what I took from his comments. Uh, so I would stay tuned uh, for maybe more announcements, uh, potential announcements on that uh, somewhere down the road. I would like to think that it's going to be difficult for Moore Gallagher and GMS Racing to remain under the Chevrolet umbrella while at the same time being a part of Legacy Motorsports um, and being under the Toyota umbrella. As you know, a lot of these manufacturers are very proprietary with their information, and they don't want that information shared. So I don't see Chevrolet uh, sharing information with Mark Gallagher uh, for him to to take back to, uh, you know, Legacy Motorsports. And I know we're talking about two different series here, uh, but still, uh, I, I just – I, I think there would be a disconnect. I'm with Andy. I think there's a disconnect there uh, with that. I would anticipate uh, that at some point uh, either GMS Racing pulls away from Leg- Legacy Motor Club involvement uh, to stay with Chevrolet or uh, they make that switch over to Toyota. So I don't know which way it's going to go. But um, I do get that sense that there's more to be somewhere down the pipeline here. 
Um, with regard to um, uh, what was the other thing you guys were talking about, I had a comment on. Um, with regard to uh, Chevy uh, sharing information, yes, there was a problem with Chevy sharing information, and, and they made that fairly clear that they were at the bottom of the totem pole with regard to the sharing of that information. And one of the reasons why uh, they went to Toyota is because David Wilson told them that they would equally share the information across all three organizations, being 2311 Joe Gibbs Racing and Legacy Motor Club, that there would be no withholding of information or resources uh, for it to favor one organization over the other. Everybody would have the same information. So that has to be uh, an appealing uh, selling point for Legacy Motorsports uh, or Legacy uh, Motor Club to make that change. Uh, and and so I, uh, Mike, would tend to agree that the, the Chevy uh, turning off the support uh, is what precipitated the interest in looking elsewhere for support uh, versus the other way around. So I... Um, I do think that uh, we've outlined very clearly here why it makes good business sense for uh, LMC to make these changes, and uh, I think it's going to be a good change. I think it's going to give a lot of these uh, Toyota development drivers a place to move up to in the Cup Series uh, by having more Toyota teams uh, available as options. And it would not surprise me if Legacy Motor Club actually expands to a three, uh, possibly a four-car uh, organization over time as a result of making this move, uh, again, to open up the spots. So I think it's all good. I know I'm at that point uh, of the show that I need to make an announcement uh, with regard to um, uh, our new listeners. Um Okay, so i got to bring Jay back into the queue here. Okay, uh, I had to uh, an announcement here for new listeners uh, that uh, we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, even though we're going off the air, we will continue to record the rest of our conversation. So you're going to hear us go off the air um while we're still talking about a, a particular topic, just know that that will be a part of our bonus overtime material that's available on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available. And then at your convenience, uh, you can go to the player at com and just fast forward to that two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of our conversation. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the player at Fan for Racing. Uh, we have our podcast available uh, at Amazon. Our podcasts are available on TuneIn, uh, on iTunes, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to us, uh, just fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. Um, with that, Mike, uh, I'm curious to hear your follow-up here. 
Well, remember last year when we were talking about Kyle Busch leaving Joe Gibbs Racing and therefore leaving Toyota, taking Kyle Busch Racing with him and moving everything over to the Chevrolet camp, and we were worried, man, what's this mean for Toyota? We were, I don't know that we were necessarily writing an obituary for him, but it appears now that the rumors of Toyota's demise were greatly exaggerated. I'm not saying that they are right back where they wanted to be, but I don't think it's going to be as hard of a drop as we were thinking it might have been. Joe Gibbs Racing has still got some rebuilding to do. Ty Gibbs showed some promise. He ran up front for a long while, uh, both at Talladega and at Dover uh, the past two weeks. Uh, but Martin Truex and Denny Hammond are most likely going to be leaving the team very soon. Christopher Bell is almost but not quite in a position where he can put a, a whole team on his back and carry them. But there's a lot of promise and upshot for Joe Gibbs Racing. And for Toyota as a whole, adding Legacy Motor Club with a new invigorated leadership team of Jimmy Johnson with Maury Gallagher as well, I think that bodes very well for Toyota moving into the second half of the decade here. Interesting to see what they're going to do with it. They, like I said, they're going to have some holes to fill here in the next couple of years, and their development program is going to be very, very important in order to make sure that they're in a position to move forward and see if they can rebuild in the way that Hendrick Motorsports rebuilt at the end of the previous decade into being the powerhouse that they are for Chevrolet right now. Okay. Uh, we'll let that be the last word on this particular topic. Jay, what's our next hot topic? Well, I kind of thought this would be one where Mike started, but Fox and NBC had an exclusive window for uh, the renegotiation of the TV rights and package um, being the current carriers. That exclusive exclusivity window has closed, and NASCAR has now opened to others, which seems to be uh, there was a second post I had put up. I know the more focus on the digital platform, but NASCAR or Fox and NBC still appear to be the front runners as far as the television broadcast. Okay, Andy, your thoughts about that? Yeah, <clears throat> this is interesting that the window has passed um, for the exclusive rights for Fox and NBC. But I, I think that that's a good thing. I think that it, it's possibly time to to look at new partners and, and maybe get a fresh perspective on race broadcast. We've uh, certainly, I think, at least some of us have kind of noticed that maybe it's gotten a bit stale at times, at least as far as the Fox broadcast side of things is concerned. You know, so maybe maybe it is time to to negotiate with, with new partners and maybe bring in some new networks. Um, certainly we're in a streaming day and age where we could certainly see part of the season maybe on a streaming platform, and, and that's just you know that's just where we are in today's broadcast world. So I, I would welcome new partners to be involved. I'm not saying that we need to completely eliminate Fox or NBC. I, I you know would think that they would still be – around in some capacity, but I do think it's time that um, at least one or maybe even two new broadcast partners uh, at least entertain the thought of broadcasting NASCAR races. I think that um, when a broadcast team or a broadcast partner is in the sport or in a position for too long, it can grow stale. Um, I, I tend to put Fox in that category. I think when I look back at, and I've seen some, uh, race replays recently of older Fox broadcasts from from 
you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it just seems to me there was a higher quality of production at that time versus today. And, you know, with, I, I think sometimes things just run their course. So maybe it's time that we get new partners in there and, and maybe revamp things a bit. And, and overall, I think that that would create some positivity for NASCAR broadcasts and, and help promote the sport uh, in a better way. Okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? As much as I'd like to see NASCAR look to different partners, the real question is going to be who. In the past 10 years, there's been a lot of consolidation in terms of the broadcasting world and also a lot of, shall we say, eggs getting put into very specific baskets. For example, NBC and Fox are really the only two networks that carry any kind of motorsports. NBC, in addition to NASCAR, has most of the IMSA races as well as IndyCar races. Really, the only major motorsport that's carried on a network that's not Fox or NBC or one of their affiliates is Formula One being carried on ESPN. So that leads to the question of where would NASCAR potentially go if not with Fox and NBC? And there's really not a long list there. A potential outlet would be Disney, uh, Disney owning ESPN as well as ABC. So if NASCAR would go to uh, ABC, that does make a little bit of sense because you, now you've got a broadcast network for the major races with ABC. You've got a very well-recognized sports side of the house with ESPN, and you also have a built-in streaming service with Disney+. Plus. However, ESPN has made it pretty clear that they're not very interested in motorsports right now. Yes, they're carrying the SRX races this summer, but other than that, ESPN has more or less been out of the, the racing and motorsports game for quite some time, and it doesn't really seem like they're super interested in getting back into it. And that pretty much speaks for them. CBS has no motorsports content. Up until last year, they carried SRX, but they weren't super enthusiastic about it and obviously aren't back again for this year. Um, they're also deeply involved with the NFL, and I'm not sure if they would want to split their time uh, in sports marketing to incorporate NASCAR, especially in the back half of the season where NASCAR does compete directly against the NFL, which is CBS's bread and butter. Then again, Fox does carry a lot of NFL games as well, and they make it work, so I wouldn't say CBS is out of the question strictly because of the NFL, but I think the lack of interest in there in motorsports content in general may rule CBS out. The days of having a separate Turner network, TNT, TNN, similar, um, is, is behind us. Those networks are gone. There's really no good third-party option there. So I think, if nothing else, NBC and Fox are going to be the default that's left over for lack of interest from any other party, or at least not to pay the, the amount of money that NASCAR is hoping to get out of it. So what I really hope here is if it does stay with Fox and NBC, that NASCAR is able to exert a little bit of control over how their product is presented. Right now, kind of like Andy alluded to, both broadcast partners, that I would say especially Fox, they do not showcase NASCAR's product very well, and I think it overall hurts NASCAR's image and their potential reach for fans. So in the process of negotiating this TV contract, I really hope NASCAR is able to, to assert a little bit more control over how their product is presented and hopefully improve the way it's presented to be that elite level of sports that I believe the series wants to be, but not how it's currently being represented on TV, especially on Fox. 
Yeah. Um, they're talking about uh, closing the door. It says that they'll likely re-sign Fox and NBC for all the reasons that Mike outlined here. But they're also going to step into the streaming world. What are people doing right now? They're dropping their cable, and they're going to streaming services. So it makes sense for them to kind of dip their toe in the water, if you will, and they're going to do exactly that, I think, next year. Uh, Pete Pistone put on Twitter, uh, they're looking at a six-week summer series, including two midweek races on Amazon. And Amazon does make some sense as far as one of the streaming services for them to consider uh, because a lot of people are prime uh, members at Amazon and uh, – uh, there's there's uh, a lot of opportunity there uh, from a merchandising perspective as well. So I think that uh, uh, what we're what we're going to see next year is is a uh, is a trial period to see what happens if they stream some of these services uh, versus putting them on the national network uh, programs. Uh, and and a lot of a lot of people, myself included, uh, are not uh, going with uh, the cable services any longer, and we can get uh, these other um, services a whole lot easier uh, than what you can get uh, uh, some of the national. Um, I mean, I still get NBC and ABC and Fox and CBS and all of the the networks. But I spend most of my time not on those networks. In fact, the only thing I really watch on those networks is NASCAR, and I'm not happy with what I'm watching on on the Fox network with uh, the way that they present the races for NASCAR. I agree with Mike that they could do a much better job of promoting the product than what they do, and in fact, I think they are detrimental uh, to promoting new fans to becoming a part of the sport. So I, I, uh, I think this makes a lot of sense for them to go outside of the major networks and see what happens if they stream some of these races on uh, on another service like an Amazon uh, Prime Video. Amazon's already doing this, by the way, with football games and baseball games. And I think they have a Thursday uh, uh, football uh, thing that they were doing uh, during the football season. So... I think Amazon is kind of setting the pace for uh, attracting uh, streaming sports uh, to the uh, general population, and I think there's a lot of people that are signed on to this Amazon uh, Prime Video, and so uh, I think it makes sense for NASCAR to test this out, and a six-week summer series is a great way to do it. Um, summer is when a lot of people get involved with so many other things, uh, that take them away from the TV set. But what if you could watch the stream of uh, that race uh, at when you got home? Uh, and it would be a lot easier to do it with a streaming service like Prime Video than what it is to do it with some of these networks. So 
I I think it's interesting what they're what they're doing here. I I would like to see them step away from Fox, uh, but like Mike said, there there aren't any there aren't a whole lot of other options for them out there. Um, so we'll see what happens as this to continues to progress. Jay. Well, I guess I'm singled out here as the not the anti-Fox uh, affiliate here that everybody else seems to be. I'm, and I'm not saying there can't be improvements, but I just don't uh, view it as negatively or as bad as what uh, some of you guys do. I just think um, they miss so much of the race. <laughs> you hear so much I, more of the said, race on the radio ahead. than you do from the Fox broadcasters. Go ahead, Jay. Well, and that's one. I know we've had this discussion. Radio has to do it differently because they have to put, uh, paint the whole picture. You've got no visual. So that's one where I don't know that everybody understands the difference between radio and TV of how they have to broadcast that. But, yeah, but as I said, I, there certainly could be improvements. I'm not disputing that. We, anybody and everything can always improve. Um, Mike, other than that, Mike, I think hit on everything that needed to be covered there really aren't a whole lot of other options. What surprises me, though, is both Fox and NBC do have streaming uh, platforms. I was a little surprised to see where Peacock ranked on the list that Mike put up of a number of viewers. Amazon Prime and Netflix being the top two, I was surprised how low Peacock was, and I couldn't even find Foxes on that list. And I just know they have it because that's where my nephew watches all of his basketball stuff is on the on the streaming device under Fox. Um, the one thing I will say about Fox, NBC a little bit less, but Fox has three channels they can put it on. Uh, regular Fox, Fox uh, FS1, and FS2. Now, I know some cable companies don't cover both of those or have them. In my case, it's the NBC side because mine quit carrying uh, CNBC which is where they would go to if they had to push it. But they do have a second alternate. But I believe that was going strictly to the streaming side. So the fact that they didn't get a deal done under their exclusive exclusivity window, I'm going to have to quit trying to use that word, under their, that window where only they could negotiate, that they didn't come to that deal, I get the feeling NASCAR did want the bigger platform streaming uh, bigger platform when it comes to streaming. So I think that's the key point. It'll be interesting to see how they come to that split then of agreeing with Fox and NBC for the television coverage, but another entity for the streaming platform. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see what comes of it, but I, I'm with Mike and, and you guys. Are, there really aren't a whole lot of other good options, and the ones that are there haven't shown to you have the commitment or desire such as CBS. They had the SRX series. It didn't last. Uh, ABC, which I didn't realize that was ABC fell under Disney, but partnered with ESPN. I think they're the next best option, but we've had them before, and they pulled out and didn't want to be a part of it. So I don't know where that falls, um, that hopefully they would make that change and be, I want to say, as enthusiastic or willing to cover it as NBC and Fox have been. Andy, follow-up? Uh, no real follow-up to this one, but I, I just um, I, I will be looking to these new negotiations with a keen interest, certainly, to see uh, who may be involved and in, in where the broadcasting may go in the future. But um, 
again, just ultimately would, would welcome some new blood as it, uh, as it pertains to uh, the race broadcast moving forward. I think it's time for at least some new additions and changes, and it would be a welcomed, uh, a welcome thing for sure. Mike. Well, I didn't talk too much about the streaming side of the house on my first reply, but Jake kind of alluded to it a bit, and I'm going to dive into it a little bit deeper. He also brought up a list that I shared in our, our chat pool regarding the most widely subscribed streaming services in the world. And I'm not exactly sure where this, uh, this website pulled the data from, but most of these companies are publicly traded, so I'm willing to bet that this data has most likely come from their SEC filings. The number one streaming service in the world is Netflix. It's just short of 231 million subscribers in the world. Then Amazon Prime at 200 million, then Disney Plus at 162 million. Now, that is the world, though. We all know that NASCAR does have some international fans, but by, by and large, NASCAR is a United States predominant or predominantly United States uh, series. And if you look at just the United States, Amazon Prime comes out way on top at 78.8 million. Netflix is down to a distant number two at 66.7. And then Disney at 42, but that's even below HBO Max at 46.8. So you can see the dominance that Amazon Prime has in the U.S. market. Couple that with the baked-in shopping options that, uh, that Amazon presents, and it's a really great sell for sponsorship, not just for the TV side of the house, but for on-the-car sponsorship. So you can have these companies, whatever they are, selling their little doodads and whatever feature, because you know how they love doing their ad reads during the current broadcast. Do an ad read during the broadcast. It interfaces directly with Prime. You can click and buy right there. Huge, huge sponsor activation potential with Amazon Prime. Um, But it does require a subscription. 78.8 million is a lot of people, but the United States has something like 350 million people. So we're not even even close to half of uh, of, of the United States uh, citizens or subscribers to Amazon Prime. So how else do you reach people? Well, a pay-per-view service might be another option as well. And that really leads to YouTube. YouTube has a really good uh, per unit purchase uh, capability. They use it a lot with their movies as well as music where you pay a small fee to rent the access to that media for a small period of time. So NASCAR could have a charge for, hey, I want to watch the uh, spring 2023 Dover race. And you go to YouTube and YouTube has that option for a dollar, two dollars, whatever they want to charge you can purchase the rights to watch that for 48 hours from when you first start watching it. That's kind of how they do it with movie rentals right now, and that might be another option for NASCAR. Have that pay-per-view. For somebody who doesn't want to commit to a monthly subscription, they can do a pay-per-view option, and YouTube is another great outlet. So those are really the two streaming services that I would see as probably being the most beneficial to NASCAR. Going to a a separate subscription service, even a Peacock that's affiliated with a major network, I think is a major non-starter and would be a colossal mistake on NASCAR's part. Anything that involves a fan having to have an additional subscription, a monthly subscription that they have to pay the $5 to $8 to $10 for, I think it's going to be a non-starter, and I think it's going to do far more harm than good for their viewership, especially if that's the exclusive way to watch some of these races is over the streaming service, kind of like what they're talking about for this next round of TV deals, having some exclusivity with a streaming partner where that's the only way you can view it. You've got to make it accessible to as many people as possible. People already complain about, well, 
I don't have cable, so I can't watch all the races that are on FS1 or on USA, anything other than the, the broadcast networks. If they're complaining about not having it on cable, you can't imagine what they're going to say when it's on an exclusive streaming service that's tied to a subscription, that's tied to a network that you don't subscribe to. As much as we love NASCAR, I don't think there's a lot of people who are going to fork over an extra 5 to 8 to $10 every single month just to watch NASCAR races once to three times a week. So NASCAR has got to be able to hitch their wagon to some existing subscription service that does not require their fans to, to buy any more additional subscriptions in order to access the content. It's a difficult situation to have, but it's very critical at this juncture in NASCAR's history. This is kind of the revolution we talked about with, uh, with broadcasting a few episodes ago, where the current broadcast model that NASCAR has is very much an early 2000s model in terms of how they present the races, how they're broadcast, how they're, how they're conveyed to fans. This is that turning point where NASCAR really needs to get out of the early 2000s and get into the 2020s and into the 2030s and present their product to viewers in a way that they've never done so in the past. It's critical that they get it right here. Yeah, and, and Mike, I would agree with you if you were talking about the baby boomer uh, and previous uh, generations uh, with regard to the streaming services. But guess what? These new generations, they're all on streaming services. That's their mode of operating uh, is on streaming services. YouTube, you don't have to pay for it. And like you said, you can get uh, those races. uh, You can watch the races on YouTube. Um, I think that uh, NASCAR has to make changes uh, because of exactly what you ended with. They are operating on an old model uh, from previous generations that's not working for the newer generations that are coming up into this sport. If they want to remain relevant, they have to make these changes. Uh, it's not going to make everybody happy. You, people are, some people are going to complain. Uh, but I do know this about NASCAR. No matter what they do, somebody is going to complain. Um, and, and you already mentioned that people complain about cable. Well, people are ditching cable now. They're not on cable anymore. Um, so that's why it, it, some of these people don't have FS1 because they don't have cable. They're streaming. So I, I do think that NASCAR needs to look at uh, a different way of doing business for the future. And I keep hearing in a lot of different interviews that are coming up, and today was no exception, people are talking about big changes that are coming within the sport. And there are big changes that are going to be coming within the sport, and this is just one of them uh, that we're talking about now, is that they've got to find a different way of doing business uh, for the future of the sport. And, And I think streaming is the way for them to go. Uh, I do trust that NASCAR is going to look at um, every angle they can possibly look at and try to make the best decision that they can make. Uh, And like everything else uh, in every other company, uh, sometimes they're going to hit the mark and sometimes they're going to miss, but they will evolve to a better place in the long run. So that's what I think I see see happening uh, with regard to, 
looking at uh, going outside of the network TV uh, for for some of these races. Uh, and I hope it is a success. We'll have to wait and see what happens uh, with the six-week test that they're talking about uh, coming up. Jay, you get the last word. Well, I think what they've got to be careful of, and they've learned this from the past, is what is your core audience right now? I understand you've got to look to building it in the future, and you're talking about this generation, but we saw that when it came to new markets, new tracks, they lost or alienated, as, as I think uh, even back as far as Mike Helton started it, uh, they lost their core fan base because they alienated them with the markets they were going to, the tracks they were going to, going to all the mile and a half, eliminating places like North Wilkesboro um, and some of these others. So be careful with that. From but the conversations and callers, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Don't make the same mistake here with the broadcasting um, avenue. Of, and, and I go based off of the callers that called in, which, again, there's only a certain uh, – demographic or whatever or, uh, aspect that call in, but they were kind of against, not necessarily fully in streaming, but were very anti-pay-per-view. I, I will say that, uh, that they said, hey, I'm not going to pay an additional amount, whether they have the streaming or, or the um, cable or not, doing the additional paying. Um, that's one of the things that they were against. So I think they need to find a balance. Like I said, I'm not against them doing utilizing the streaming, but you don't want to put that completely there because you're going to lose your entire uh, fan base that isn't into the streaming um, from that aspect. So it's going to be a balance. I, I like the fact that they're exploring it and looking into it, and I hope that they make the best overall for the entire fan base. Uh, like I said, I, I agree with you. I understand that coming to the, to bring in the next generation, you got to meet their needs and wants, which is more towards the streaming, but you can't eliminate the other, I guess is where I fall, um, which is why I kind of look at NBC and Fox as your two best alternatives, being that they have that, um, whether or not that's the viable option. The other thing when we looked at it as far as the companies that um, – are willing to put up the money that is necessary to broadcast them. When we talk about that, Fox and NBC are your top, not only for that, because also remember the, that number is going to go up and the teams are looking to get more of it. So there again, it's, it needs to go up. If NASCAR wants to maintain what they're getting as well as share more with the teams, there's only a few of those companies that are willing to put out that money. So it, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow along, as Andy said, a, a follow along very uh, – with a watchful eye, because uh, it's going to have a huge impact on NASCAR as a sport long-term down the road. Yes, I agree. Okay, uh, let's see. We're coming up at the top of the hour, so already we only got two topics in here today, so they were big, hot topics. Um, Andy, let's start with you for the roundtable here tonight. Yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, good to be on. Thankful uh, to be on for the full one tonight, and uh, I believe, barring work calling me in, I'll be on Thursday. Okay, that's good news. Uh, Mike? 
Mike underscore so Mike on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, I'm going to be taking my sheep of a race car to the Columbus, Mississippi Market Street Festival. It's going to be on display somewhere along Main Street. I'm not sure. Um, look for it next to the dumpster where they keep the rest of the trash. That's probably where it's, uh, it's going to end up at. Uh, that's, of course, if we don't get rained out this weekend. So get your, uh, your on-rain dancing shoes on and see if you can help us out there. Okay, James. All right, you follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And if that comes the case of a Saturday, Mike, I'll make sure I get a picture or video of you down there. I believe they have you slotted right next to the barricade so you don't have that running start to hit it as hard. If I, if I saw the map right, they got you right next to the barricade so you don't run into it quite as hard. Ha, 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 my sides. All right, I am Fan for Racing site on uh, face on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook. Uh, we are fanforacing.com for our website, and uh, I know Mike, you're working on an article uh, that should be forthcoming in this next week, uh, and uh, I think worthy of reading. Uh, do you want to kind of give a synopsis, Mike? Okay. Yeah, so I was at the IndyCar race at Barber this past weekend, and I noticed a huge difference with the way IndyCar fans and NASCAR fans interact with the drivers and if that they encounter in the paddock and garage area. And I really think there's a lot that NASCAR fans could learn from IndyCar fans, and I'm trying to explore that in the article. Keep an eye out for maybe late this week or early into next week. Okay. And um, uh, also, we were supposed to have Jake uh, – Finch on tonight, for whatever reason, he did not show up. Uh, I do know that sometimes uh, things happen and uh, drivers, uh, you know, have things come up that uh, take them away from doing uh, what uh, we were expecting them to do. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to come on this Thursday night at 9 o'clock. We're still awaiting word on that, so we don't have a confirmation. uh, But stay tuned. We will try to get Jake uh, rescheduled for another time. Uh, I was disappointed, though, because uh, it was another big win for Venturini Motorsports with Jake Finch uh, and also his connection with Phoenix Racing. A lot of us are familiar with Phoenix Racing that was in the NASCAR Cup Series for so many years. Uh, and now working uh, in the late model series uh, with drivers like Jake Finch. His dad, of course, James Finch, owns Phoenix Racing and Phoenix Construction. And so uh, it was nice to have that connection uh, with Jake and uh, NASCAR and uh, winning in the Arkham Menard series. So hopefully we'll get a chance to to talk with him uh, down the road here and uh, bring him on to the show. Um, also, uh, we will be back on air this Thursday night to preview the races out at Kansas Speedway, and Jay uh, is on board for us uh, as co-host for Thursday night. So we look for us uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, this Thursday for our preview show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we've got a whole list of more of hot topics that we can discuss on Thursday night. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back with the Bamford Racing crew uh, for that as well. So thank you guys for all that you do. We appreciate you. And uh, with that, guys, I guess we're ready uh, to call it a night here on Fan for Racing Radio. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Talk to you Thursday. Take care, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.